Hey guys, welcome to the Bowhunting Soul Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me again. This week, uh, I have a very cool guest, a uh, guy by the name of Mr. Nick View. Uh, Nick is a traditional bow hunter. He is an author. Uh, he wrote uh, the book Life and Longbows. Very cool book. I read it in like in two sits. I would have I would have uh, read it in one long sit. Uh, it's a rather short book, but I would I would have you know read it all at once. But it's just one of those things. I started it late at night. But uh, it's one of those uh, books that, you know, it's written in very, you know, you know, down to earth language, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to minimize, you know, his his writing ability or anything like that. It's just it's very approachable. Uh, and we talk about his writing style. We talk about how, um, you know, how, how he came to, you know, be an author, you know, starting off in, in, in articles here and there for, for some magazines and local magazines and, you know, maybe traditional bow hunter and, uh, you know, what why he decided to undertake writing a um a book about his journey into traditional bow hunting. Uh, he is also the co-host of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, along with uh, Steve Angel. So if you guys aren't listening to that, you really ought to be. Very cool, uh, you know, bunch of guys. Um, very, very good podcast. And they talk about more than just bow hunting. It's mostly bow hunting, but they do, you know, when when it's tis the season, you know, they talk about you know fly fishing and some muzzle loading and things like that. Uh, more, you know, more things traditional overall, overall en- encompassing. So. Um, we got a, we have a really good conversation. Um, this one's kind of a longer one, but we just kept talking and talking because he's just kind of an easy guy to talk about everything. Like I said, his uh, his journey, uh, how he writes, why he wrote it, and then we got into a long discussion about uh, 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 ground hunting and uh, turkeys. So uh, my turkey season is about to wind up. Um, hopefully, I might be able to get out a couple more times here. It's it's the end of uh, it's nearing the end of May here. It's the twenty second or twenty third, so I only have till the end of the month. But um, you know, we, we talk about my my one big awesome encounter and miss in in this one. So uh, yeah, it's it's overall it's a really really great uh, great interview. I, I I love talking to him. We probably could have talked for you know for a lot longer, but it was uh, getting late at night. And uh, as usual, I want to thank him for being uh, a guest. Uh, you know, pre- starting the 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 interview pretty late. Uh, it's just kind of my time constraints, as you as you guys know. So anyway, uh, also I want to say thank you to you guys. Uh, thank you for leaving those ratings. The ratings are uh, definitely definitely helping. I see them go up every time. So please, if you're on um, if you're on Apple. I don't know how to do it on Google or anywhere else, but at least if you're on Apple, go to iTunes. You just scroll down. You scroll down all the way when you see uh, all my episodes, and it'll say leave a rating. You don't even have to, to write anything. The ratings help tremendously. And please share this podcast. Um, you know, word of mouth is how everyone kind of, um, you know, hears about it. Uh, I do obviously post on Instagram and things like that, so just follow me on Instagram there. And uh, the Bowhunting Soul YouTube channel. Definitely go check out those videos. Uh, I talk about, well, lots of things. Some are gear reviews, some are hunting related, some are just, you know, uh, just, you know, outdoorsy kind of gear things and, and, and things like that. So anyway, uh, I do appreciate all the support. And uh, without any further ado, here is the interview with Nick View. Yeah, there we go. I think okay. so. Yeah. You got it there? Yep, I got it. Cool. Well, everybody, uh, welcome to the Bowhunting Soul podcast. And uh, today I have a uh, really, really special guest I've wanted to talk to for a while, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Nick View. Nick, how you doing? Good, Emra. How are you doing, man? 
I'm fantastic. I'm glad we can, I'm glad we can do this. And again, I tell I tell every one of my guests I have to do these late at night, and it's usually later for everyone on the Eastern time. So I really really appreciate you uh, you doing this. So it's it's later for you than it is for me by about an hour. Or so. Oh no, no problem. I got some friends on the West Coast that I talk to online sometimes too, and that's way yeah. way worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one hour isn't as bad, but uh, no, I still, I still appreciate it. You know, sometimes I tell people, I'm like, yeah, I can't really do it till uh, you know, wife goes to work and the kids in bed, and <laughs> they're like, oh, that's late. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you I know, hear you. So. No, pro- no problem at all, especially right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, for those that don't know, uh, you want to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Sure. Um, I'm Nick View, and um, I, I've been around uh, traditional bow hunting. I got into it in around 2009, and I was, I was 27 years old when I got into it. And it was really on a whim. Um, to go way back, I was never a hunter or, or much of a fisherman when I was a kid. Um, my, dad, my dad was an outdoorsman, and I liked to you know, do things with him, but hunting was never really my thing. And honestly, fishing was never really my thing either. And, um, I spent a lot of time out in the woods, woods with my younger brothers, but, you know, we never, you know, they kind of went off and did the deer camp thing with their, with their guns and stuff like that. And I just never got into it. In fact, I almost, I wasn't really anti-hunting, but I didn't understand it. I I was one of those people that, you know, my uncles all did it and, you know, it, it was all about camp and everything like that and, and you know, putting one down and getting it in the freezer and, and you know, that that was what they did and that's totally fine. That's a Michigan thing to do. I mean, that's just what people do here come November 15th. Right. And I just didn't really, I, I didn't, it didn't speak to me. Um, I was also very occupied with sports and I, I played pretty much everything. So I was always busy. I didn't really make time to hunt or anything like that. And my dad kind of segued out of it when we got into sports too, because it was just too much running around. Yeah. So, you know, archery is not really in my family either. Archery was one of those things like my, my, my uncle Jim gave me a bare white hunter uh, comp compound. Okay. Um, I was really into Rambo. <laughs> and he gave me this compound and I, Oh, it was the greatest thing in the world, man. Like I had it and I, I walked around with it around my grandma's farm. And I mean, I thought like I was legit. And then I don't think they ever intended for me to shoot anything with it, but I found arrows yeah, so, <laughs> in the garage and stuff. So I started, you know, I took a couple home and I took the bow home with me and I started shooting at a hay bale and, um, Archery was always kind of in my blood after that. Like we, we made bows in the woods, my brothers and I, then my, my mom got us these Nerf bow and arrows and we, we spent hours shooting these Nerf bow and arrows and we were always way into it. And, hmm. um, that kind of stuck with me, but you know, after a while, and, and you know, the first time I shot that compound, I had like, it, it must've been like 20 pounds probably set to, and I, and I had like a, a shin guard for a, arm guard that I found and I had, and I had a set of leather stalls my dad had because he tried the, the Fred bear two season hunter thing Uh and, uh, he had it laying around and he just gave it to me. And when he gave it to me, I also found a, uh, a set of bear arrows, the brown ones that came with the bow. And it's kind of unfortunate that I did because I pretty much shot all those and broke them and I didn't know what I was doing. And, it might be uh, worth something now. 
Yeah, it might be, you know. Or at least be, nostalgia-wise, you know. Yeah, it might have been cool just to have them because, you know, I remember a lot of people got into bow hunting during that Fred Bear promotion. So it was one right. of those things that, you know, he, he kind of did it and he he shot like a rabbit one time with a bow and that was it. And he never really did it again. My dad always shot, always hunted with a muzzle loader. Okay. Or an eight millimeter Mauser. So oh, he, I have one too. Oh, do you really? Yeah, oh yeah, yep. I, I got a twenty four forty seven Yugo. Yeah, I love that yeah. thing. I uh, I shot it. Um, I shot it last year. I went home to see my parents, and and man, that thing put a whack on my shoulder, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, whoa. He goes, yeah, that 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 was that was crazy. And you know, it's got all the German markings on it and stuff like yeah. that, and it's really cool. But yeah. Um, anyway, um, so that was kind of my my youth experience and with it and you know of course when when um the robin hood movie came out prince of thieves with kevin costner you know everybody wanted to shoot like a bow and arrow all the kids did so you know it there was always that draw to to get into it and i and i was also a comic book fan i loved hawkeye and i liked green arrow and okay so it was always there and just being in the woods you know was kind of it was kind of putting one and one together, but I had no, I had no interest in hunting. So mm-hmm. seeds get planted though. And you know, you, you, sorry to interrupt you. You're the second person that's told me about the, um, uh, Robin hood, Prince of thieves as, really? uh, as, as an inspiration thing. Yeah. I had, um, I don't know if you listened at all, but I had a guy by the name of cliff cadet on, um, and he, he goes by urban archery NYC on, uh, on, um, Instagram and he lives, he lives in Queens and, uh, you know, brand new, brand new hunter. He's, you know, my, my, I mean, I'm, I'm 45, almost 46. And I think he's in his forties, early forties, like super late adult onset hunter. And he just shot his first Turkey like a, a couple weeks ago, like first animal ever, you know? But when I had him on, he said, one of the, one of the, uh, um, impetuses you know for when for trying to take up archery was he had watched movies like, like, um, like Robin Hood and also, um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, <clears throat> like the older Robin Hoods, like with Errol Flynn and stuff Ar- like that. Errol Flynn, yeah. Venom, yep. Venom, yep. Of, yep. of course, uh, Men in Tights, which, <laughs> uh, you know, the whole the whole movie was actually outfitted by Twig Archery, which is pretty interesting. Really? You know, all, all the Yeah, all the bows and arrows and everything. So, huh. yeah, that they were all made for that movie. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it was weird. Like, it, we, I was just obsessed with that movie. And it's funny, when you watch it now, it's kind of like, I'd prefer the Errol Flynn version, but that one's still a good, like a good movie, you know? I mean, but it's funny how seeds get planted and, you know, I, I, I went away to school and, um, I, I played football and whatnot and I, and I kind of, I forgot all about it. I never really had, you know, any draw to, to the bow after that. I kind of, I did what a lot of people did and just kind of had life and did the teenage thing for a while. And, and then went into college and did that thing. And then, you know, I met my wife there and, um, we, we moved into a house together and I started a job. I started working at the university where I went in marketing and I basically, you know, was, I, I it was like almost instant adult, you know, eventually we got, you know, we had got married and we had a kid and, and then another. And, but before all that kind of like that happened, I, there was this period where I just had a lot of stress 
like I, I was trying to make it in this job and, and, and I was in a three year like incubator position. So I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be there forever. It was, it was one of those things where I was three and out and had to find work. And then the, as oh. soon as I started getting those loan payments back, you know, where mm. I had to start making, you know, I got off deferment, I was, I freaked out. So, and I wanted to get out of where we were living. We were renting a house and we wanted to get a house and, and it was just, you know, it was just a lot of stuff at one time. And I've always yeah. had, a, had an issue with anxiety. So mm-hmm. always had a lot of it. So I was sitting on the couch one day and I remember it was a rainy day. There wasn't really anything to do. And I bought the, um, I bought the, the long bow hunter, which is the Mike Grell written green arrow series. And he, for those who don't know Mike Grell, Mike Grell wrote some fantastic stuff, but he was a big Renaissance guy and he's also a bow hunter. <clears throat> so in this, in this long bow hunter book, you know, they mentioned, you know, Ollie, Oliver Queen's getting trained by Howard Hill. And I didn't know who Howard Hill was. Mm-hmm. And I started looking into Howard Hill and I, I became fascinated. I was like this guy, like the trick shooting and Errol Flynn and all that. Like it, right. it was like, wow, this he's the real life Green Arrow, you know. Like this guy's awesome. And then other names started popping up, local names. Right, I was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and um, you know, we Michigan's got a wealth of of traditional archery and traditional bow hunting. You know, not not just the Fred Bear aspect of it, but a lot of other archers too. And another one that kept coming up was Ron Leclaire, and Ron Le, Ron Leclaire. He, he had true bows and he had started, he had been a big part of the Michigan Longbow Association and he had started the Great Lakes Longbow Invitational, him and Jerry, um, Jerry Brum from Great Northern Bows. Great Northern, yep. Yep. So I, in Quiver, so I started, um, I, I started learning about all these people and I found the Michigan Longbow Association and, and all these organizations and, and I saw that there were shoots and my, and I got my dad into it along the way and anything we did growing up, our parents did too. Um, so my dad really kind of got into it and oddly enough, he had a, he had a, um, his neighbor that moved in across the street. Uh, his name's Holly Rue and he actually was a big bear hunter. I big, I mean, big, bow hunter period and had been, had an awesome bear collection and he had been around, he's got the Michigan black bear record. Um, and he got that with a traditional bow and a, like a, a herder's bow and, and yeah. a wasp broadhead and stuff like that. Like he, yeah, it's really cool. He's got in his living room. I got, I, I see it every time I go, I visit him. Um, but he moved in across the street. So I happened to like call him and he was working at an outfitter in Mackinac at the time. And I was like, dad, I want to, I want to shoot a bow. And it, it was just after reading this comic book. And he goes like, like a compound. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm like, I, I have a lot of technology in my life. I just got done playing paintball in college and I was chasing technology there. And I said, I don't want anything to do with that. I need something for stress. I need something like archery looks great. And he's like, well, Olympic archery. I'm like, I don't know if I want to mess with all that either. Maybe, you know, I didn't really didn't know what to do. I was, everything was so, you know, new and, and it was a little overwhelming for me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I stumbled on some of the forums and, and trad gang and leather wall and things like that. And I was just kind of reading up and, and then my dad's like, well, you know, I got a traditional guy here at the outfitter and, you know, why don't you come up this weekend and, and kind of see what we got. And I went up and I ended up with a, um, I ended up buying a regime and Paula takedown. Uh, and it, it was just like this, it, the ugly can I, one. Can I, pa- hey, can I, can I pause you one, one second yeah, real quick? But, 
Okay, hang on. My daughter's calling me. One second. I'll be right back. Hang on. Okay. Hey, Nick, can I take a dad break for like two minutes while I go deal with a bug in a room? <laughs> I do totally understand. Yeah, I, I do that once day already. Go for it, man. <laughs> okay, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you on here. I'm just going to run upstairs real quick, okay? Okay, cool. Okay, bye. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> okay, hey, where do you want to pick this back up at? Um, the, the regime? Yep, yep. Let's do that. All right, cool. Um, so I ended up getting a bow that weekend. Um, I got a... Uh, a regime and politics down, which if anybody's familiar with these, they're, they're basically at the time, um, this was around again, 2009, there weren't a lot of options for a new, like a new archer. Um, mm -hmm. you could get into the Samic stuff and you could do the Olympic thing, or you could get a bear or you could get some stuff like that or recurve in. Um, I, you know, regime, I didn't know any, any different from anything else, but this thing was like a plain Jane turd Brown riser. <laughs> like, and like immediately when I had it, it was like, it was like tapped for a, a stabilizer and the, like the tap fell out and like it, like the bolts like stripped and like, it wasn't, it wasn't a great bow. Um, but it, it did enough to get me into it. And it was also like, it was supposed to be 45 pounds at my draw and we weighed it later and it was like 60. So I was like overbowed. Whoa. I mean, those factory bows are just like, you know, by those companies just aren't some uh -huh. back then there was no consistency. And, uh, you know, but I, but I got that bow and I got, um, some carbon arrows, uh, the ones that looked like the, uh, the, they were the, um, the GT, the GT traditionals, the one that had the actual wood grain on them. Mm -hmm. And the local guy fletched me up half a dozen arrows and, and I got, you know, uh, like a, a deer skin glove and some other stuff. And, and he got it all set up for me and I went up and I, I, I checked it out and they had a little range in there that was like a hallway. And, you know, I shot a couple shots and, you know, I was hooked immediately. Like I had to keep shooting. Um, and I, and I just beat my wrist, like my, my, uh, my left arm, my bow arm, I beat my Reform, wrist. Yep. yep. All the way down. I, I had no arm guard or anything. And I, and I don't wear one now, but then I, I, I hit it from there all the way up to my chest yeah was bruised like i hit everything like i was open dancing <laughs> it and dude it was i was in pain um and he's like yeah you might want to take it easy but i ended on a bullseye and i was like i was hooked and he's like you might want to take it easy and not shoot more than than two arrows or not i mean 20 arrows a day yeah and you know i went home that night and i shot again for another three hours <laughs> Like I, yeah, I had this point where I had to tape my fingers. Like I, I, I just kept shooting. I mean, every time, every time I had a chance, I went out in the yard and started shooting and I'm like, I think I really have something here. Uh -huh. And that's when I, you know, when I knew like this was for me and right after that, I had to go back down to Grand Rapids. My dad lives out in the woods. My mom and dad do. So that was easy to shoot around there. But in Grand Rapids, we were on this like like in a busy street right off Leonard Street, you know, so which is in the middle of the city. Okay. So I couldn't shoot in my backyard. It's a, it's against regulations. Yeah. Um, I had to shoot. The only thing I had, I could either go to the range and there was a couple of range. One one range charged like ten dollars every half an hour. And I couldn't afford that. 
That's pricey. And, yeah. and other, yeah, another range was in Allendale, and I found that one later, and I and I loved it. It was six dollars for like you could shoot as much as you want. Yeah. And that's the one I decided to shoot at, but I couldn't go there every day, so it was one of those things that was like, all right, I have to figure out how to shoot at home. And we had this Michigan basement, super small ceiling, um, unfinished, you know, cement floors and walls, basically a cellar. And yep. I couldn't even stand it. And I'm six, four and it was tiny. I had to crouch just to walk down there. So what I did was I bought a little foam cube and I put, and I, and I got a, a, a box, a big cardboard box and I stuffed it with a comforter and I put that behind the cube and I had about 10 feet down in the basement where I could shoot. And I would sit on this hunting stool that I bought and I would just shoot arrow after arrow, basically bail shooting arrow yeah. after arrow into this, into this target at 10 feet. And I do that, like I disappear and do that every night. And I spent a lot of time doing that, plus absorbing every bit of knowledge that I could. And what, when what I, was knowledge back back then? I mean, this wasn't all that long ago, but I mean, it still wasn't the age of, you know, everything, you know, at your fingertips on Instagram and podcasts. And, you know, where did where did you soak in all that? Well, you know, it was it, it was tough to find the good information. Um, you know, there was, there's a lot of opinions out there just like there is now. Um, I, you just had to work a little bit harder to find everything. And I mainly got it. I think it was trad gang and leather wall yeah. were two that I frequented the most. And then the traditional bow hunter forum magazine forum. Um, so I spent a lot of time on forums. Um, and that's kind of what everybody did then. Uh, yeah. you know, they didn't have the groups now. And in a lot of ways, it's the same, but different. And I think what drew people to the forums then was a lot of the classifieds. So, I mean, you could post something there and it, it didn't move as fast as social media does today. So you could actually have a little bit of life on your thread. Like it might be up for a day or two. Whereas yeah. you post something on Facebook community now and it's gone, you know, by in an hour, you know, you can't, you can't even search it. for some of the stuff and find it. I'm like, I just looked this up, you know, yeah, I know. Like, it's, it's crazy. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and it, unless it's a hot topic and yeah. somebody is a huge troll and it ends up good, you know, getting into a big, like uh-huh. you know, hullabaloo on there, then, then, then it'll stick around. But, and then that, that's when you don't want it to. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and but, <laughs> You know, people used to get irritated in forums, too, because they'd be like, you know, check the stickies, do searches. You know, if you ask the same dumb questions over and over again. And and I but when you get into that first, you know, that first year, you're just a sponge. You're just absorbing whatever you could find. Like, so, I mean, I was taking all the advice I could get and, you know, kind of trying to decipher it out. And honestly, I would have picked up a lot of really bad habits had I not picked up a couple mentors. Mm -hmm. And that's the most important thing that happened to me that first year, my dad's neighbor was one of them. Holly was, you know, an old school, been hunting for 40 years kind of guy. I mean, he always bow hunted, like he'd been around in the golden age and doing it. And another one was the guy at this range in Allendale, Grand Valley sporting goods was uh, Bill Cooper and they called him bullseye. And he was, he was laid off. And he, from what I remember, and he would, um, he just go to the range every day and help people out. And he just shoot his bow all day long. This dude with this black widow longbow. We just, he was always in there, big, long white beard, always wore a cutoff shirt. You know, he's, he was always in there shooting and he was good. Like he just shot all the time, you know, target really instinctive. And both of them, like I knew then the difference between like a target archer and like a bow hunter. 
Yeah. I was like, I was shooting like a bow hunter. I had no interest in the target archery, but I didn't have an interest in bow hunting either. Well, the thing that happens when you start hanging around these ranges that are bow hunting ranges with bow hunters everywhere, you start to hear a lot about bow hunting and right. you start to hear stories and, and you know, that, that just becomes naturally kind of what you do. So I started absorbing all these stories and I'd always been into writing and, and reading literature and stuff like that. And, and I'm like, wow, these, these hunters, like this hunting things is a fascinating story. I mean, it reminds me of call the wild or hatchet or, you know, some of these things they're talking about, you know, just it's, it's different hunting. Like the idea of hunting with one of these bow and arrows, these sticking strings without any kind of sight or any kind of, um, assistance and like, you know, combat, you know, something you can't hold forever on a draw, you know, picking, picking your draw, whether you're on the ground or up in a tree, you know, all these things like started, you know, I, I was just amazed. I'm like, this is why I never hunted. This is what I wanted. I wanted the, the animal to have every challenge possible. And I want it to be me that does it. I'm dependent on myself. And when right. I learned about all of this and getting close to game, that was it for me. And I went from not wanting to hunt at all, having no desire to hunt to, I ended up hunting that season and Grand Valley had a, the, the university I work at, they had a doe culling program, um, where you could hunt employees could hunt on grounds on Grand Valley's grounds. Um, once the, st- the students were gone and, and you were a hundred yards away from anything on campus, obviously. So oh, we nice. have a lot of, yeah, we have a lot of scenic ravines and stuff. And I ended up hunting across the street and I, uh, I actually shot my first deer in on December 22nd, cause you could hunt from December 18th to the new year. And I shot my deer the day before my wife and I were going to go up to see her mom and dad for Christmas. So huh. Yeah. And not only did I do it, but I did it on the ground and I did it with a longbow. Um, I had, I had been shooting between the regime and the longbow. I had picked up a Samick, um, red stag and it was kind of like, it was a copy of a, like a, a higher end bow. It's basically mm-hmm. it reminded me of like a predator recurve. And I got tired of hanging that thing or, you know, carrying that thing around. And I realized then that I always was drawn to the longbow and that goes back to the Robin hood movie into the longbow hunter book. Yeah. And there was this mystique around it and everybody said, don't shoot a longbow. Those are too complicated. You know, the recurves are, are easy to shoot because they got that pistol grip and longbows are just, you know, the, it's kind of like the dark arts, you know, they're the, it's a broomstick handle and yeah. you can't adjust between the two. And, and I said, well, you know what? I don't care. I'm, I want to do this. I was bit by the bug. And I ended up ordering a longbow, um, a custom-made bow from a bowyer named Nate Steele from Bama Bows. Um, and I got, he doesn't make bows anymore. And Nate's, Nate's a truck driver now, but after he had a couple kids, but he was making some bows. And at the time, I, I bought one of his bows for like $2.29. So it was like oh. a, drop, a drop in the bucket. And I was like, I'm going to buy this bow. And um, I got it, and I fell in love with it the day it came in. And I started shooting it. I took it to the range one time. I was shooting better than I was with my recurve. And I went out in the woods and, and after a season of seeing nothing and having mishaps, you know, I shot that, I shot that doe on the ground at about 15 yards with that longbow in the snow. You know, it was, it was everything I ever could have wanted. Like I was sitting literally right by a log 
like the log was hiding me and the deer was on the other side and I popped up and shot the deer from the log. Like it was everything yeah, you could just, ever possibly. Yeah. yeah, it was awesome. Um, and that kind of did it for me, but something else kind of happened and I didn't put this in my, and so there's a chapter in my book called, um, and my book's called life and Longbows, And there's a chapter in it called a moment in the snow. And that's my first deer story. I think it's chapter yeah. four. What I didn't put in there was that I actually shot two deer in that sitting. I shot the first deer, like that one. I, I know I, it was a good shot. You know, I just knew it. I, and I, and the arrow exited, went in and exited. And I knew I hit that deer and that was, it was a good shot. It was a double longer. I could just tell even, even then I, I could just tell. Um, but I'm sitting there shaken, trying to calm down and, another group of does came in and this one was bigger than the one I shot the lead doe. And they kind of looked at me and they were alert and they were, they were even closer than the other one was. They were literally right across a small little finger, like a small little draw from me. So I was sitting on one ledge, they were sitting on the other and they saw me and they winded me, but they were too curious. They weren't really hunted. So they didn't know what I was. So I'm sitting there going, well, if they're going to just sit there, I got two tags. I'm going to shoot this deer too. So, you know, I, I drew back and I shot the lead doe and the doe was the doe jumped the string and I, I caught her right on the right, basically the scapula right on the shoulder, the, the thick part of the shoulder. Yep. And I put her down, but she got back up. She knocked the arrow out and she ran away. And I spent Uh, the next, I spent the next three hours like trailing that deer. I, we found the, found the first deer and a buddy helped me out with that, but I trailed that other deer and you know, there was, and I found my arrow and it was all tallow and there wasn't, you know, and and hair and, but I felt so bad about that. It it was bittersweet because I had my first Mm -hmm. deer, but then I wounded a deer and, and I felt terrible. I, it kept me up all winter break. Like I, I felt awful about it. Um, yeah. I cut that second tag up. I didn't hunt again, um, that year. And I, you know, that, so the dichotomy of what hunting was all kind of culminated in that in just a few months. And then after that, I started writing. And after I wrote that first story, actually moment in the snow was my first story for, um, for outdoors, outdoor stuff. And, um, I kind of just journaled, I journaled for the next, however many seasons and I never really stopped. And finally I had a blog going called life and long bows and I still have it, but I don't write in it very much. It's honestly, it's just there for nostalgia at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of just, uh, you know, started turning them into stories. Um, and I know I've thrown a lot at you right now, man. So no, stop no, whenever. No, um, no you're, you're good. Actually, that, that, that's a good point right there. So you, 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 you said before, like you, you know, have some, sometimes some anxiety and things like that. Is that something that you did before to kind of, you know, just, uh, I don't know, ease your mind or I don't know. I, I don't know the terminology here, but I mean, was, was journaling something you did before, or you just kind of took it up when you got into, into archery and, and hunting? I, d- I did write. I didn't journal to just a journal, but I wrote, um, I am also, I've always loved music and I've always loved poetry and I, I, and I play guitar. So I wrote a lot of, I wrote a lot of poems and a lot of songs and stuff like that. 
Okay. Um, and I'd write the occasional short story. Um, I've always liked short stories. Um, ever since I was an English major before I switched to a communications major and I had a lot of American lit and Brit lit and I've always loved American literature. Um, and I, I had not, it's funny cause I had not connected the two yet. I'd always loved to write, but I had not thought of, I never really had a medium to write. Like I, I could write songs, but I couldn't sing and play. So there was no mm-hmm. point in writing songs. <laughs> so it was like, well, okay. I never, I'm not really much of a performer or anything. So I was kind of like, you know, the writing's not going anywhere for me. And I kind of put it away. But as soon as I, the outdoor bug caught me, I all of a sudden had a muse and I had a yeah. time yep. and it clicked. It clicked immediately. Um, after I, I wrote that first story, um, I, I just couldn't stop. And yes, that was very therapeutic for me, but the archery was more therapeutic than the writing was. The archery was just watching that arrow fly and hit the target. That would calm me right down, um, you know, and, and it worked, you know, it really did. It was, it was a great release for me. Hmm. So. Interesting. And I mean, you, you seem like a pretty artistic guy, obviously. And, and you've kind of, you know, mentioned a lot of the stuff you do because, um, I mean, you also do, you do some painting and stuff too, right? I mean, or, or. Is it painting or drawing? What what would you call it? It'd be be drawing and painting in because you Uh, do every now and then you post on on Facebook, on uh, on Instagram about um, it's what is it, Magic the Gathering, right? Cards, right? And you, uh, I mean, and and those are, again, I know nothing. We we messaged a few times a while back and I'm like, hey, what are these all about? You know, and and, and I'm not into, you know, I'm not into, um, uh, what are they even called now? It's it's not a board game anymore. What, what would you call that? Oh, it's Magic the Gathering's a card game, but just yeah, card game. It, yeah, yeah, it's it's card, it's collector's card game. Um, yeah. I actually that that's another. I I'm I'm a sucker for nostalgia, um, and you know I and like you said I am I'm, I'm a creative. I, I like I I found this out about myself probably my, you know my second year in college, um, and I just like to share. Social media was almost made for me. Cause it was like, I've always wanted to share things with the world. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I'm not much of a performer or anything. So I kind of, it was one of those things where I was kind of just like, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I know I can, I know I can write, I know I can draw, I know I can, I can do play. I know I can do certain things, but I've got, you know, I got to get this beyond just me. Like I, I can't be the only one to hear this stuff. And I, and I can't yeah. be the only one, you know, I had to share it with people and I, and and I think that it's powerful to share an experience because it, it inspires other people to create too. And that's when I realized that what I actually am as a creative and that was a really good, uh, you know, outlet for it. Now the, the, I, I always drew now the drawing thing I always drew and, um, I was an arts, you know, in high school, I loved art. It was my favorite. It was absolutely my favorite subject. Um, I did a lot of sketching and things and I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was a kid. Like I comic books, I was a huge fan of comic books. So I always was drawing. My brothers and I were always making characters up and drawing and and writing stories about them and things like that. And, and uh, we also, that kind of, that kind of led us in for a while. Um, the, the magic card thing was kind of went hand in hand with the paintball thing because the magic in Sheboygan, the paintball shop was the magic shop. So if we, hung oh, out both of it, yeah. yeah, that's kind of how it happened. And everybody was playing and I got into playing and my brothers and I would play on the, on the, on the floor. And, and, you know, it was just, it, it's always been a game that I really enjoyed and I got away from it for a really long time and then got back into it, um, in 2015 
and found some guys that play around here, some guys that were on my softball team and stuff like that. And it was kind of, I kind of just fell back into it. Plus it was a way to connect with my brother again, who had moved out of the state and, and he's in Virginia and it was something for us to talk about every day. So, um, what ended up happening is I got into this old school magic community where it, it you play with only the cards from 1993 and 1994, the original sets. Okay. And that was when we started, like we were in that group. So it was, there was a lot of nostalgia there. And, um, I started seeing that people were drawing on these cards. Like they were like, you know, you could personalize these cards. So I started, you know, I got some, uh, some paint pens and I started drawing on these cards and people liked them and they wanted me to draw for stuff on theirs. And then I started selling them and, uh, that's kind of how that happened. Um, but that's, so that, that doesn't take away from the value of, of, of cards. Again, I'm oh, not a collector of anything like that, but <laughs> it absolutely does. Okay. <laughs> but it's a different, you know, that's a totally different thing. Like I, I could talk about that for, you know, for another hour. So that whole deal, like that community is more about the cards as playing the cards, not the financial aspect of it. So, um, that, you know, I'm kind of in that group of the cards we're meant to play. I have some that are very valuable that I won't write on and draw on, but in most right. of the ones I do draw on are, are just cheap and they don't, they are not worth anything. Um, but so you're creating extra value then when you're, when you're, doing what what you're doing then too right i mean you're taking a card and then you're adding your own stamp to it and it kind of becomes oh uh, yeah a new creation right so okay oh yeah and and i never i and some people make you know make a, a good side hustle doing that but for me it's more about seeing my cards and other people's decks and things like that and um it was another way for me to get to be creative and you yeah. know i got two i got two little girls and seven and nine and you know they we used to have art time you know, all the time. And we still do where, you know, we want to get them off screens and we want to get them drawn and stuff. And, and, you know, I'd sit down with them and, and, you know, I, I would draw, I would doodle before the magic thing, even I doodle with them, you know, I draw like superheroes or whatever while they were drawing the, whatever they're doing. And, yeah. and, and then I just started, when I started drawing on cards, I started doing that when we did that. So, and they got into it and I started letting them draw on cards. And, and it was a thing that I did with my daughters at that point. And it was, it was great. It was something I could do with them. And right. it's a good way for, for me to show creativity for them and, and things of that nature. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I pretty much, I'm a hobby guy, man. I, I, I'm, always doing, I'm always doing something. Um, I can't sit still. Yeah. Uh, and when I jump into anything, I jump in 110%. And that's exactly what happened with archery, except archery has lasted. You know, we're, we're going into, you know, I'm 38 and I started at 27. So 11 years. And 11 years. I, yeah. And it's, and it's been a ride, man. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there that, you know, they, a lot, a lot of hunts, a lot of friends. The, commu the community is really, is really what kept me in it though. Yeah. At, at, at first I was kind of a out, outsider. My dad and I would go to shoots, but not camp or anything and not really meet anybody. We were this, we were just there to buy stuff and to, you know, sh and shoot. That's it. Then we'd go home that day. We never camped or anything. And then, you know, finally after a few years, we started getting more invested and, and that's when archery really became special and, and, 
getting involved with organizations and, 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 and having a big family, a big archery family, mm-hmm. you know, became living shoot to shoot almost. That's, that's when all that kind of happened. And that's also kind of the time when I, I realized that I started writing more for, okay, so I joined the Michigan Longbow Association and I, I joined the board and they had a publication called Stick Talk. So finally, outside of my blog, who I didn't think anybody read any, but anyway, I kind of just like started. I did, by the way, but oh, well, did maybe, you? maybe not way back then. Yeah, but I, I first heard um, or saw you and your writing and, and Steve's too, uh, you know, Steve Angel, because yeah. um, you guys were on, on I think, I'm, I'm trying to think now because it's been a while, but I've, I've been on Life and Longbows and I've been on Simply Traditional and I believe you guys have like, you know, articles on, 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 on either ones, you know? So that's mm-hmm. how I first, uh, you know, heard of both of you guys. And I think it was even before you guys started the podcast. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. We, it it yeah. was, uh, and we trade off. He'd write for mine, I'd write for his. We, yeah. we you know, it, 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 I, I was like kind of pseudo pro staff for Simply Traditional, kind of. Like it was, it was more of just like I'd write for his site once in a while. That's actually how we met too. We both had sites, and I wanted to move. One of my web guys in my department had set me up on a server blog, and I wanted to move and get on my own server. And then Steve helped me do that. And kind okay. of set all that up, and that's how we got connected. And then on Trad Gang too. So we had talked on Trad Gang a couple times also. And actually, it might have been it might have been maybe Trad Gang or Twitter. I can't remember, but one of the two. Um, and we had a mutual friend and and Tom Jorgensen. Yeah. Who, who that that's how kind of we all became acquainted. And I and then I went down south and with Tom and and I and I met Steve for the first time and we had a hunt. Um. Can we, make, can, can we pause real quick to... Oh, uh, yeah, we're going to have to because there's so much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, can we pause real quick? I was just going to say, just, just for like 10 seconds to make fun of Steve because he's not on this uh, on, on this awesome conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can absolutely make fun of Steve. I'm always down for that. <laughs> no, we... Uh, I, I, I alluded to it before. I mean, you, you guys have a podcast, The Traditional Outdoors, and, um, you know, we, we've been talking for a while about, you know, you, you know, whether it's a swap cast or not, but I mean, you, you coming on mine, me coming on yours and kind of chit chatting and Steve, and this is a good thing, you know, in, in today's day and age is just like swamped, but he's like perpetually swamped. Right. Mm-hmm. So I always, I always, every time, like, even if, if I message him or whatever, like his responses are always, it always seems like, uh, like, you know, can't talk now, bud, real busy, you know, like it's almost like screaming, like hair, hair all disheveled kind of thing. That's the image I get, you know? So. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> And actually, Steve and Steve's had a lot of major life events in the last year or so. Like he's, you know, with Bella, his daughter going off to college for her first yep. year of college, and then he got a brand new job and left a new the job right before this COVID thing, right, right before COVID, and then COVID yeah. hit, and and it's like you talk about a perfect storm. I mean, the poor yeah. guy's just trying to like to just get get his life back in order. Like he's yeah. just. Like, you know, adapting to a whole new normal when everything is abnormal is just, <laughs> that's gotta be crazy. But yeah, you know, that it, it kind of all goes back to just like with me meeting Steve and everything in the community, like it, archery is, is a community that it, it, it goes coast to coast. Like you just meet. And then as much as I hate social media, like that brought everybody Sometimes I hate social media, but that, yeah. that really brought everybody together. And the forums did too. The forums did, but 
not, I mean, the forums, you don't have somebody's real name. When we had the forums, nobody really knew who anybody was unless they knew who they were anyway. Right. And we met them and messaged them or whatever. We're Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter and stuff. You're, for the most part, it's you. Yeah. So it was, Facebook was an easy platform for everybody to just really branch out and start to get to know other people. And that's kind of when archery blew up, I thought. Like everything opened up and now you didn't need a password or to get into a forum, you didn't need to, you didn't need to join something and pay a fee to sell bows. You didn't need mm-hmm. to, you know, it was, it was like a whole new world that opened up and then you could just message somebody right away an instant messenger. And then everybody, you know, Steve and I, I think messaged each other, have been messaging each other for uh, however many years now on a daily basis. Like it's one of those things where you're, where you're, occasional forum friends now become an actual friend that you talk to more than anybody you know in real life so to speak isn't that strange so, I, ha- I have a few yeah. of those you know yeah it's just it's just an odd phenomenon in uh today's day and age where you're right like i have more interaction with pr- probably because you you're, you're attracted to one another because of your interests you know well not probably be obviously because you're attracted to you know talking about whatever it happens to be i don't care if it's um you know card games i don't care if it's archery i don't care if it's cars you know and it, it's it's kind of strange that the relationships you build just through you know texting or you know typing on a forum somewhere that you know i don't have as strong you know in a lot of cases i don't have a strong relationship with like actual people i see in my life every day i'm not talking about my family or whatever you know as i do you know in in the community you know i mean it's 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 kind of odd it's good but it's a little strange you know yeah. Oh, I, I totally hear you. Like I'm, I'm actually pretty introverted. I had to learn to be an, I had to learn to be an introvert. You know, that kind of happened, um, when, uh, kind of co- in college, mm-hmm. you know, when I really started, you know, coming from a small town and stuff like that, when I, I kind of started branching out, like, obviously I'll talk your ear off if I, if I know who you <laughs> are, but, and, you know, I've never had a problem with that, but, um, meeting new people has never been super easy for me in person. Yeah. I, I'm much easier. I, I'm much better at it online where I, I think, and I, and I tell people all the time that like, if I, you know, if I die the day I die and if we have, if there's a funeral, there will be the most eclectic group of people that don't know each other there <laughs> yeah. that you will ever see. Because I, every single, com, every single thing I do, every hobby has a community attached to it. So I've got friends from the magic community. I got friends from the archery community. I got friends from the guitar community. I got friends. I mean, there, there's people everywhere from writing. I've got it from work. I've got like, and I know a lot, it's not unique. A lot of people do that. And I think yeah. guys in particular tend to do that. Um, I, I've just always known every guy I've ever known has been an ultra hobbyist that, you know, has just spread themselves thin on so many parts, just always doing something, always tinkering, always, always having to, you know, escape reality. Um, but that's one of those things like it's, it's just, that's why I said social media is pretty much made for me because I could chat all day long with people, but in real life, I don't like to talk on the phone. I don't like to, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a guy that goes out and goes to the bar. I'm, you know, I like to be at home. I've always, mm-hmm. I've always been that guy, but yeah. Um, yeah, I like home I, and woods pretty much. And that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same <laughs> thing, dude. Like it was great when I, when I first, and then when I had kids being in the woods, like had a whole new meeting, it was like true, true peace. You know, I'd go out there yeah. just to, sometimes. I remember one time when we had, um, the, the, like the, once we had my second 
daughter, Kenzie, we had her home and it was, it was close to hunting, hunting season cause she was born in August. And then we were just starting to get our stuff together and I wasn't even going to hunt at all that year. And, and my wife told me to go hunt. And I remember going out one morning and just sleeping. I went out in the woods and just fell asleep and I woke oh, up Yeah, and it was 11 o'clock and I was like, Oh <laughs> man, I'm really rested. <laughs> and I went home. <laughs> She's like, would you see anything? I'm like, no, I, f- I fell asleep immediately. And like, I was so tired, but, um, I love that solitude, man. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm jumping all over the place though, dude. No, that's fine. So let's circle back to your book now. So you, I think you were, you were going down that path. So you, you, you've got the blog, uh, you've got the blog going, um, you were doing all these short stories and you started, uh, writing, you said for, uh, the Michigan Longbow Association, right? Yeah, I did. Um, so when did all the, the book, when did you like, okay, you know what, I'm going to put all these um, kind of the, these anecdotes and these, these kind of little mini stories and mini adventures of my, of my journey, I'm just going to put them into a book. Like what, when, when did you decide to do that? Um, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of a combination of a couple things. Um, I, w- I had been published before I got in the, got in the Michigan Longbow Association. I, I was involved in a publication called Stick and String. And that was, um, it was Ned Miller's magazine and he's Crowbows on Instagram. And so I was writing for him and I edited, edited for him for a while. And that's when I kind of realized that's where I kind of got my chops. Like I realized like, Oh man, I can, you know, I got, I, I established a voice and I can really write and I can really do this. And then I sent a couple things into traditional archers, um, you know, into that trad world magazine and, things of that nature. So I, I had some under my belt and I'd been writing in my blog for quite a while. When I joined the Michigan Longbow Association, Stick Talk was the perfect place for me to write. And I eventually became president and I was president for three years and I was writing content all the time. Okay. And I was gathering all these stories and I had things in journals and stuff like that. And I kept telling people like, you know, I'm going to, my dream is to write a book. Like I'm going to write a book. I was never much on the article writing because I hate writing for deadlines and I, 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 when I write something, I want to put it out into the world immediately. So I'm kind of one of those guys, like, I don't want to wait a year for something to get published in a magazine. So I'll, I'll get it published as quick as possible anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I had all this stuff built up, man. And I, and I just said, you know, I can do this. And I heard about self-publishing and then a, a guy, I said something somewhere and a guy named, I don't know if you know him, but Billy Hoffman yep. reached out to me and he saved me. He literally gave me direction like Billy. He reached out to me and he said, dude, you're one of the you're my favorite outdoor writer. You need to write a book. And Billy had like I didn't know Billy very well. I just knew that he'd written Twins of Prey and I've read his Mm -hmm. some of his books and he was a great fiction writer. So I was like, all right. Yeah. You know, he goes, I'm like, well, how do you I didn't even know where to start on that, Billy. Honestly, I don't have time. And he told me you know, to be a good writer, it just requires button seat. You just got to do it. And yeah. if you don't put a deadline on yourself and you don't, if you don't, you know, decide that you're going to do it, you're never going to do it. Years are going to go by and you're never going to write one. And he kind of walked me through some of the process and introduced me to Kindle Direct Publishing and self-publishing. And I had the resources. I had uh, a marketing department at my disposal with designers and stuff in it that you know, were friends that would do side work for me hmm. and edit and editors. And, and I said, you know, I can do this. Like, I know I can do this. And I honestly, the, it was, 
it it came together quickly because I had a lot of published works already. But what really got me is like, you know, anybody can publish a book of short stories. It's it's not that hard to do, especially if they're not really related to each other, to write a book of short stories. I'd read a I'd read a bunch of books of short stories. I loved archery sh- um, uh, short stories. Um, it, you know, I, I I really really liked that stuff, so I knew I could do it. But then I got to thinking about it, and I'm like, I started laying all the stories out, all my favorite stories, and I was like, this is chronologically telling the tale of my journey in my life. Is pretty much what this is. Yeah. And, a lot of it, a lot of people like to write from the expert standpoint. Nobody wants to be a beginner. Everybody wants to come in and and be respected and and not let their guard down and be the ultra woodsman, the ultra hunter, the the successful guy and the person that knows what they're doing. And I'm like, that ain't me at all. Mm-hmm. Like I I'm a bumbling idiot in the woods. Like I don't or you know especially at the beginning. And I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if somebody wrote a book from that standpoint, somebody who, and I had a unique background of not being a hunter and not being a natural woodsman and not, and not having that hunting pedigree as a kid and not ever touching a compound and not ever hunting with a rifle and all that stuff. And like, I put all that in there and I was like, you know what, I'm going to just, I'm just going to tell this story and I'm going to make the book. Like I figured the book needed a theme. It couldn't just be stories. And I'm like, I think I need to show all the stuff that happens that are related to my personal growth as a hunter from, from being a total round eyed, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed noob out in the woods to amateurish. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'll write, I'll write this first book on that. And when I found that component, everything fell into place. I was like, now this makes sense. This isn't just stories. And I've read. Yeah, books it, it's yeah. a, it's a very, I mean, I, I read it. I read, I, I read it in like two sittings, you know, um, it and it's that, <laughs> no, it's not very long, but I mean, you know, honestly, I find like, I love to read, but honestly, like that's like the last book I read. And I was like, you know, whenever I, I can't remember, like several months ago, right. When, when mm-hmm. I got my copy and whatever, it, it's just like nowadays, you know, trying to do, Trying to just kind of eke out enough time to sit down and read, um, actually read a book is really hard. And I guess you can make time for it, and I need to make more time for it. But when you when you pick something up and you're like, oh, you know, I, I I'm into this, you're into it. And it's a really what I liked about it is it's really like you said, it's an honest it's an honest book. It's not trying to be uh, braggy. It's not trying to be coming at it from the point of an expert. But you're talking, you know, you talk about um, how new you were to it. You talk about lessons learned. And I, I think one of the, one of the, well, one of the things that you convey in that is, is like, how do I describe it? Like, like the beauty of the woods, it comes mm-hmm. across in your writing that you really, really love being out in nature and respecting nature for what it is, whether you get, you know, get to, you know, fling an arrow or not, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's really why I, why I liked it. And I'm like, man, I could really relate to this because, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't have, you know, tons of animals. I still have yet to shoot anything with the traditional bow other than a carp, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but, but, but I, I get it. I get all the, the, the emotions that you talk about, all the, you know, the highs and the lows. And I don't know. And it's, and it's, and, and, and I think in, in a couple instances, like you, 
I don't know, not not the sound all woo woo about it, you know. But I mean, you, you kind of put your vulnerabilities out there. I think you said you, you, you there was a couple instances where you kind of got choked up and cried or over over just like you know what you had just done or whatever and i'm like that's that's a very honest thing to say that people don't really talk about these days you know oh yeah i'm uh when i first started writing and and i really had a i'm i'm i mean really a well a lot of people are but as somebody who's anxious and stuff a lot of it's just my own insecurities and Mm -hmm. i i really had a hard time writing at first in my blog like i turned comments off i never turned them back on like I never huh. wanted, I didn't want to hear feedback on anything I wrote. Um, I, I had really thin skin. Like this was something I was putting into the world and I didn't, didn't want anybody's feedback. I just wanted to put it out there. And yeah. I basically, I got over that, you know, I grew thicker skin and, um, right. But, you know, especially after sending a couple articles into magazines and, and, you know, getting, uh, um, having them torn apart or, or getting, having writing teachers tear apart my writing and stuff. I started realizing that this is good for you. And I started laughing at them and, and things of that nature. But the, um, the, the biggest thing that kind of, that I learned was that, and I kind of learned this from Eminem, like on eight mile, you know, and I don't know if you're familiar, but you know, when he, when he just, he, he just, knocks he disses himself first so that the other guys can't diss him that was when, kind of, oh when he's at the yeah, factory or whatever yeah when rabbits in the final battle i can't yeah. believe i'm talking about eminem on archery podcast. no 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 it's it's been uh, <laughs> it, it, it's been, it's been a while since i've seen the yeah, movie but yeah well, yeah well rabbit rabbit goes into the final battle and he's like he he doesn't know how to beat papa doc and his crew and then he's he thinks about uh, it it's like i know what they're gonna say to me i know what they're gonna say about me i'll just say it first then yeah. they have nothing and that's kind of where what I realized at that time was like the more transparent I can be, the more relatable I'm going to be. Yeah. And if I can bear my soul and my writing every time I write and everything's out there, there's nothing to hide at that point. If I'm trying to hide that I'm some kind of expert and I'm going to try to teach everybody what they're doing, that's just not me. I'm not that yeah. person. Um so if I come off that way, someone's going to call me out and I'm going to, you know, basically exposing myself. Whereas I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm who I am. I'm where I am. I'm comfortable with what I want to be. And for me, I'm an experienced hunter. It's all about leaving the woods with a full head, even if I'm empty handed and, and sharing that experience. And hopefully somebody will be inspired to do just like I did pick up a bow and try it. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. And then I, when I did that, I realized that's the stuff that everybody likes that personal stuff that they connect with. Everybody's got a a hunting story, but not everybody is willing to share, you know, their mishaps and, and what they're feeling and the emotions. So I really, I really focused on that. And I learned that from Jay Campbell. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with Jay, you probably know the name. Yep. He, he wrote Longbow's, um, Longbow, A Hunting Life. And he wrote for Traditional Bow Hunter for quite a while. And Jay is a phenomenal writer. Um, we had him on the podcast too. And it was my favorite interview. I, ne- I, I geeked out really bad, uh, <laughs> fanboyed really bad when I had him on there. Um, but I was, uh, I, I sent an article to him because I read his book and I was like, this is the kind of writing I want to do. And I'm like, Jay, you made me realize that I can, I don't have to be Monty Browning to write an archery book. Like, 
I might not be an Alaska guy or an Africa guy or anything like that, but there's a lot of people just like me who hunt in their own backyard who have stories to tell and experiences and nobody's writing about that. So I want to write about that. And I sent Jay, you know, a couple stories. Actually, I sent him one story and he, he read one paragraph and he tore it up so bad. He didn't go any further. He sent (laughs) it back to me and he said, you should read Don Thomas's guidelines for writing for traditional bow hunter. And, you know, and then it all clicked. I was like, I know what he's talking about. And that's when it kind of all came together and, you know, things started working for me and I've been doing that ever since. And it, you know, I've, uh, in fact, I'm working on a book right now and I didn't think, you know, I thought, wow, I just covered nine years <laughs> of my life and, and 16 chapters. And I'm like, how, how am I going to write another book now? Cause everybody's asking yeah. me about it. And I'm, and then I got to think about all the, all the stories I haven't told yet, all the hunts with Steve and, and there's more hunts with my dad and, and there's a lot of really funny stories in there that I don't talk about because they're they're just they're hilariously stupid. And I'm just like, you know, do I write something like this and then make it a comedy? So I had all this stuff down in my journals and I'm like, yeah, I can I can do this. I can make this work. And um, in the in the new one, I'm up to chapter seven right now and and, and it's going pretty good, except, well, then COVID hit. And now I don't want to look at my computer anymore because I'm on it all day long. And uh, writing, yeah. writing's really tough. Um, yeah, but I set you on a tangent again, dude. Nope. Nope. <laughs> that, that's I, like I said in the beginning, I, I don't care which direction we go. I mean, I, I find it, you know, I, I, I wanted to talk to you about it too, because, um, you know, I, I thought about like, I, I when I was younger, I, I'd always written a lot of stuff, right? I was always, I've always been into writing. I've always, you know, had interest in writing and then, um, you know, years, well, I'm going to say years, if it makes it sound like that long, to me, like 10 something years ago, um, when I was, I was, I was a general contractor, I was working, you know, for myself and, uh, I wrote, I wrote a couple articles for, uh, like, like, uh, was a family handyman magazine. Right. Um, so just trying to just getting exposed to writing and like, like you said, putting your stuff out there and then handing it to an editor and then just seeing it kind of like shredded you know, kind of thing that, that I'm, I'm really glad I did that because, and I only wrote a few articles and, um, I'm, I'm really glad that I did that because it kind of teaches you to kind of, you know, n- not to get like all Jocko Willink, but like kind of detach, you know, step back and, and, mm-hmm. and, and really evaluate what people are actually saying and kind of take your emotions out of it kind of thing. So that experience is, is really helped me. Um, Recently, I've I, I I undertook well not recently it was about a year ago um, I undertook a I, I I wanted to write an ebook and I started writing and I got like I don't know like four or five chapters in it and it was it's it was gonna be about it's still maybe I don't know it was gonna be about um, kind of what to do if you're like an adult onset hunter you know coming at it from the point of view of someone who may uh, you know, have, have an interest in hunting all of a sudden there's a, there's a spark in this. I mean, the, the term adult onset hunter is relatively new. And I was, you know, I started writing down a bunch of chapters and, and things like that. And, you know, trying to organize my thoughts and then it kind of just stalled. The project just kind of, I don't even want to call it a project, but the whole thing just kind of just stalled, you know? So I don't know. Now I'm, I'm, I've, I've shown it to a couple of people and, and, uh, they're like, no, no, you really ought to like, you know, kind of keep, keep going with it. And I don't know if I will or not, but I, I always like the view of um, or the thought processes of, of, of a writer, you know, like an actual writer 
and see how they kind of what they did to kind of get their thoughts on paper and then you know how, how many iterations of of changes and, and 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 whatnot that they went through before they felt they you know they could kind of push that out to the public you know mm-hmm. so no no i'm so that that's that, like i said that's one of the reasons why i want to talk about you and your writing in in, in, in this book because uh, you know I, I i i enjoyed all of it you know i enjoyed obviously reading your blogs and stuff but i mean like the book was like i said it was very very approachable whether you are an experienced hunter or whether you're brand new and like i said it was it was um uh you know not 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 self-deprecating maybe in 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 some you know in in some aspects but it was just very open very honest you know and and i think um we're seeing a lot of this in a lot of hunting content on on youtube you know we're we're past the you know the monster bucks and this that and the other on on you know some of these big channels and stuff that nobody Mm -hmm. really i mean they're kind of a joke now but you know when you start seeing obviously like the meat eaters and the hunting publics and the you know the born and raised people and all that stuff they're not successful all the time and they're average people doing you know like diy stuff you know they show the bad hits they show the unrecovered stuff they show uh you know they, they show all of it so i'm i'm really glad to see that and i'm really glad to see not only like the video content that's coming out that's a lot more honest like that but mm-hmm. you know people like you writing about that stuff too because it's like oh yeah i'm not the only one that goes out there and gets and gets skunked or does something really really stupid or makes a shot and or makes a bad shot or makes a really good shot and still doesn't recover it i've had all of that happen you know oh yeah totally um, <clears throat> and i think i think the like the turning point for me um was the j thing for sure and that's when I realized that you could actually, that's what I, I guess, I guess Jay talking to Jay, even that brief amount of time is what taught me to see things in stories. <clears throat> like he, he said something, he, he, he said something really cool to me. He said, he, or that makes a lot of sense. It's a little blunt, but it makes a lot of sense. He's like, there's a lot of bow hunters who are writers who are who write, but there's not a lot of writers who are bow hunters. There's just not, you know, there's, I mean, when Mm. you think about there's literature and then there's magazine writing and things of that nature, you know, like you read a, you read a bow and I'm not saying that they're not good, but you know, you pick up a magazine, a bow hunter magazine and, you know, Mm. any magazine and you read it and you're going to, there's a lot of good content in there. Um, and, but it's not like you're reading a work of like, literature there are a few really great writers who have got it mastered and have a voice and you can tell who they are um and you know when i first started into this i was kind of like okay well i want to be um i just want to get published in a magazine that's all i want and and jay said well at some point you're going to want to set your site you're going to find that you're going to set your sights a little higher than that and that's when it occurred to me like why don't i just write a book um and because one of the things that I could do was see in stories. Like if I go out on a hunt by the time I'm out of the woods that day, I can tell you what happened in that hunt that was special and I can write that down. And it probably has nothing to do with, with game or anything like that. It might've been, I mean, I, I wrote, I just wrote a story about sinking up to my waist in mud Mm -hmm. the other day. I mean, and that, that was a whole thing. Like, and I knew, 
when it happened, I was like, this is a really embarrassing thing. I don't really want to tell anyone, but it's also really interesting because there's more to it than just that, but it's really stuff like that is that's the good stuff. That's the spice. And if you can, if you can figure out a way to turn that into a memory and something somebody can relate to, because how many people have gone out and took a wrong turn in the woods or try to figure out like, Oh, how deep is this pond or something like mm-hmm. that? You know, <laughs> you yep. take a wrong turn on the way to their tree stand and end up in the middle of a bog, you know, the stuff that nobody really wants to talk about unless you're with a, you know, around a fire with your buddies and you're just, you know, you want to make them laugh. Right. Right. Um, but I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing is if you can, if you can see, and if I was going to give anybody advice, if, if you can if you can learn how to see things in stories and learn to pick the important stuff out of of every time you're in the woods or in the water, that's it, it's going to amplify your experience and it's also going to help you write because if you have to write about something you feel very strongly about something that sparked an emotion and if there's a certain point point of a hunt that did that for you, a theme, you know whether it's it's you got up that morning and you had a cup of coffee and you had a great conversation with your buddy before you hit the woods mm-hmm. or, you know, or maybe, you know, in, in, in the middle of the night, you know, you not, you, you know, you, you, somebody snored so not so loud that it woke the whole camp up or you thought yep. somebody was dying, you know, that kind of thing. Like there's, there's little things like that that are humorous and, and, Another writer that I spent a lot of time with that I actually found recently later in life, you're talking about onset readers, you know, that's uh, McManus. You know what I'm talking about? I, I do, because, but, but I've never read any of his stuff. Um, only, I'm only familiar with it because uh, South Cox uh, yes. reads excerpts from his book. And uh, it, it, I, I, it's, I'm one of those guys that like, I have to read it myself. If someone is like reading it to me, you know, not like an audiobook even, but I mean like 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 that, it just doesn't resonate with me. Not that sure. I wouldn't enjoy the book if I would actually read the book myself. You know what I mean? But yeah, I'm I'm familiar with what you're talking about. If you read it, you'll giggle like an idiot. It it, it it's it's that funny. Yeah. And I I love listening to South read, and I honestly do not know how South can read it with a safe with with a with a straight face and not bust a gut because it is really hard to read to somebody else. I've read I've read passages to my wife where I'm just like I can't even get through it. Can't I'm, do it I'm, yeah. you know, <laughs> but um, see that's the kind of thing I'm going for though. Like that guy's writing style is so like he just makes himself look like a moron for mm-hmm. everybody else to make everybody else feel good. He yeah. just got a really good way to tell stories, and I've always kind of been like that. So that was another way that I kind of helped, like developing a voice is such a big thing. It's such an important thing for any writer. Like, don't try to be somebody else. Try to be yourself. Just yeah. learn how learn how to. And the other thing is, as I had a million dollar vocabulary when I first started writing, I thought I had to use every big word in the book, you yeah. know. And Jay Jay read it, and he's like, he's like, do you talk like that all the time? Like you sound like a smart guy. Do you, do you talk with big words all the time? And I'm like, I'm like, no. And he's like, well, nobody that is reading this does either. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. I was like, he's like, learn how to write plainly. And, you know, of course he brought up Hemingway and, and, you know, at some point in every writer's life, they're like, I'm going to be like Hemingway, but you know, there's only one Hemingway and he was the master at it, but there, you can, you can write that style of just speak plainly to people so they can understand it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I would encourage you to keep writing, man, get your thoughts down. I mean, again, this book only happened because 
and I only did it because I just wanted to write a book. I, it yeah. was my it was my dream. I didn't care about how many I sold or anything like that. And and that's why I didn't bother with publishing. I, I just wanted to self-publish it. I had a messy folder on my desktop full of uh, a bunch of ideas that had no direction. And it came yeah. together very quickly. And that will happen to you if you keep at it. If you can sit down and write something every day or every other day, you know, and just save it all. Yeah. At some point you're going to, you're going to go back and look at that stuff and it's going to mean a lot to you and it's going to make sense to you. And it's not only is it a walk down memory lane, but you realize that you have gold there. Like that's, that's stuff that you, you lived through and experienced. And and I'm still amazed how much I forget. Like I, yeah, it's incredible, man. It's like raising your kids. Like you think, Oh, I'm never going to forget this moment. And then, a year later, you can't remember it, and it's sad. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. It's gotcha. it's the same thing, man. It's the same thing with with hunting. Like I always thought, man, I'll never forget that time. And then you do, you know, until somebody reminds you later. But if I go back and read all my journals right now, I'd probably have enough for two more, and I don't even know it. Like mm. it's one of those things because it's just chicken scratch. And I, if only I could read my own writing, I'd be much better off. Oh, I'm I'm terrible. I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, okay. So we've been going over an hour here, and I, I don't want to keep you way too long, but I do want to I do want to pivot real quick into sure. um, what what you're shooting now, and you you seem to so we can talk about equipment. You know, I don't want to geek out too much about equipment because I do that on on you know I think I think people hear me geek out too much about it, but yeah. um, I do want to hear, you know, what you're shooting, just kind of like your philosophy on on setup and stuff. And also, we can kind of transition a little bit into the, the style, like how you hunt, your, your style, because I know you're not a tree stand guy, you know, um, and I know you hunt on the ground a lot. And I'd like to kind of kind of go back and forth with you on, on, on some some things you do and some strategies. So, okay. Uh, you know, so we can just talk about you. You know, let's let's go with the bow and arrow. What 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 do you what do you what are you on right now? Well, the gear the gear ain't gonna take very long because I pretty much passed that point in my life where I care about any of that, and I kind of have what works, and it's been working for a long time. And I I'm kind of a one one or two bow guy. Like I don't have a lot of bows. Um, I did at one point and pretty much just sold <clears> them all. <throat> um. But what I'm shooting right now is I've, I've been a I've been a St. Joe Riverbow guy for a long time. Um, Tracy and Dave have been very good to me, and they've been good friends, and they're like family now. And um, I got a bow of theirs. I think I bought my first bow from them in 2014, and then um, I've had a couple of them. And one it, um, it, for anybody that's read my book knows this, but. One of them um, I left in the car, and that delammed, yeah. and they made me another one. Um, Phoenix, right? Is that what they call Phoenix. it? Phoenix. The first one was Dusty. Dusty bit the dust, and then Phoenix. <laughs> Phoenix is the the clone of Dusty, but better. Right. And um, that's I'm not gonna, I, I I that one's one that's worth reading. So I'm not going to go too far into that. But yep. Um, that bow, Dusty, I shot lights out no matter when I picked it up. Even if I hadn't shot in a while, I was always right on. And I'm one of those guys that believe that if you shoot the same bow with the same arrow set up and don't vary from it, you're just going to be that much better of an archer just because you got that mentally, the the arrow in your head, how it flies out that bow. Mm-hmm. And the longer you stick with it, you're just going to be better with it if you're an instinctive shooter. 
Um, and, and I am, I'm, I'm kind of a snap shooter. Um, I used to have a deep anchor, but I've had too many football injuries to my hand when I was younger. So I, I can't, I, I couldn't deep hook anchor anymore. So I kind of turned into a snap shooter and I've always been that way. And, um, I shoot that one bow. I shoot, I shoot Phoenix very well. It's a 62 inch, um, St. Joe classic. It's not the, the shorter torrent. Um, I, I like longer bows cause I'm such a gangly tall, big guy. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's around 55 pounds for a while. I was shooting a lot heavier, but I've kind of settled back into the 55 pound, um, range. Part of that is because I had a wrestling injury when I was in high school and my shoulder clicks. So when yeah. I shoot a heavy bow, it clicks more. So I got to the point where I couldn't deal with it anymore. And I, and I, I settled right around 55 and that's kind of where I've been. So all my bows are usually on the 55 pounds and I can share arrows between them. So that way I don't have a problem. And I like that. Right. Um, so that's the bow. I love that. I love that design of the bow. It's a little bit of an awkward looking bow. It's got a, it's got a unique design to it. Um, all the energies mid limb, but it's just something I shoot very, very well. And I've gotten used to it. And, what do you, what uh, do you mean by what do you mean by that? All the energy's mid limb. Um, if you look at a St. Joe River bow, they like if you look at a D style long bow, you got that real long limb, and that's where all the power is coming from, right? Yep. Um, the St. Joe, the St. Joe's that Potter design is more of a it it traps all the it, the the limb is shorter, and the energy is coming more from the mid limb. Okay. So you'll see that there's not a lot of limb actually working on the bow, but what is working is working a lot. And it's, and it is, you know, it gets a lot of speed. I mean, they're, they're a definitely, uh, I should say, you know, it's a reflex deflex. It's a, it's a heavy hybrid bow, you know? So does it still look like, uh, is it still a D shape when it's strong or does it, does it have the reflex deflex even when it's strong or only when it's on strong? It's actually, that's one of the things about the St. Joe is it's absolutely a D like it, it does not touch it all in the end. It doesn't have that little flare up. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, yeah, I know what you're talking about, but the handle's more forward. So it kind of juts out in the front. So if you ever seen a St. Joe, they, there no, no bow looks like a St. Joe. They, they just uh, yeah. look like that. Do yep. they have a taller riser? It seems like the risers are like longer or maybe it's just like optical. I, I don't know. I've never actually picked one up and I, Part, I've seen pictures be- of them. Partially because the limb's shorter, it, it looks like okay. it looks like they're a lot longer, but they're but they're really not. Um, they they the classic is a bit longer of a riser, but I like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can tell by the limb. Like if the limb, you know, it looks like the limbs should. It looks like there is a yeah. It looks like there is a lot of riser on that bow, but if you it, if you look at it, I mean, it's it's just mainly it's got a shorter limb and it allows them to make a shorter, faster bow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it. It, it all that energy is right. You can see where it's flexing. Like you can see where it's shooting, where the energy is and the transfer, you can feel it in the arrow. Yeah. Um, um is, is this still a, f- a forward handle bow, like a reverse, reverse handle bow or. Yep. It's a forward handle bow. It is. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yep. The torrent's even more forward handle. Um, and I do like the torrent. In fact, when I, when I broke my classic, um, they tried to talk me into a torrent and I said, I just can't do it. I got to have that classic. Like I just mm-hmm. love the longer riser. Um, and so there's, there's that bow. Um, that's my primary bow. And, uh, then I just got, I have a D style bow. I like hill style bows. I absolutely love them. I, I, that's when I t- shot my first deer with, yeah. um, was it, was a D style bow. Um, Steve angel actually gave me 
his first traditional bow, which is a which is a Howard a Howard Hill trophy hunter mm-hmm. made by what's Hill style trophy hunter made by John Schultz. And those are quite collectible. Um, when he gave it to me, I couldn't believe it. Cause he's like, I think I got to get rid of a bow. And I'm like, well, I wish I could buy it from you, but I can't at the time he had a ridiculously low price on it. And he's just like, well, I'll just send it to you. See if you like it. And then he just said, nah, just keep it buddy. <laughs> and, um, he taken his first two deer with that bow. Mm. So I still have that bow, but in my mind, it's Steve's bow. So I'm like, yeah. cause it, it was such a gift, you know, like it's, and it's heavier and it, every time I pick it up, I fall back into it within like 10 minutes. I love it. It's a great mm-hmm. bow, but that stays on the rack a lot. I do take it. I, I would, whenever I squirrel hunt though, and stuff like that, and I go roving, that's mm-hmm. usually the bow I take. It just feels, it's got that romance to it. Okay. Um, so I really, really like that bow. There's some, there's nothing more like romantic and archery as a, as a, in a D style longbow, in my opinion, there's just, yeah. for some reason, it just feels like it belongs out there. So I've got that one. And, um, I got, a, I got a, another, like a couple other little ones that I've had for a while that, you know, but the, the one I just acquired, um, and I just got it this week, um, at the Michigan Longbow Association banquet, um, earlier this year before all this happened, I had, um, I got a new, a card raffle and I've been talking to David Darling from Kalamazoo Bow Works, the, the kilted bowyer. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking to him and, and we've gotten to become friends and, I saw him at the banquet and I was like, man, I, I went up to him and I'm like, I got to have you make me a bow, David. I don't, I, it's probably going to be later this year, but I got to get one of your bows after we had him on the show. I really wanted one because he came over and he let me shoot him when we recorded and stuff like that. And I'm like, I really like this man of steam model. Well, he's like, well, you're in luck, man. Cause we're giving one away tonight at a, you know, buy a card raffle and you might win it. And I'm like, whatever, I'm not going to win it. But I went and I bought two tickets and I won. <laughs> And he's awesome. like, you gotta be, he's like, you gotta be kidding me. And I know, and I don't ever win anything. And, and I'm like, yeah. okay, you know, this is awesome. And, um, it, it the front of his bows are kind of unique. He puts the plaid on there. Yeah. It's like, I saw that. Yeah. So this was for a Manistee, which is a 64 inch reflex deflex, deflex longbow. It's got a more traditional reflex deflex style. Mm-hmm. Um, the longer style, it's not really, uh, you know, the forward handle type bow. It's, it's more yeah. of a more of a traditional reflex deflex and it's got a nice Coke bottle style grip on it where the whole thing's like, it's not a locator. The whole thing is like grooved out like a Coke bottle, mm-hmm. um, which is a grip that I'm not really too familiar with, but I kind of fell right into it. Like it, it actually, it shoots really good. I got big hands and that shoots awesome. Um, but the Manistee and I got green glass on the back and it's like Egyptian something wood on the riser, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I just got that thing this week and I'm shooting the lights out with it. It's whisper quiet. And it's a, it's one of those bows that's just super smooth on the cast. And it, I just really like it. It's a lot, it's, it's not, you know, I don't think any of my bows are better than the other. It's, it's just different. Yeah. I, I get a different vibe from it when I pick it up. It, it definitely has its own thing going for it. It's lighter in the hand than my St. Joe is. Um, but the St. Joe grip is like my grip. Like I picked the grip out, like there's no grip that's better for me than that grip. So yeah, I do have to adjust a little bit on my wrist or I'm going to hit my arm on it. So it's kind of like a cross between, it's more like shooting an actual D style bow where, you know, you have that, that Howard Hill grip where you, you have that door jam grip, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, Just straight. So, yeah. So it's like a little bit of a flip. It's like a cross between a recurve and that. So yeah. That that's my bows and the arrows are easy, man. The arrows I've done everything. Um, I've got everything. Um, I went on a carbon phase for a while and I was shooting, um, 
uh, all my carbons are black eagles. Um, Steve was carrying them for a while. Um, and I have a lot of like zombie slayers and I've got black eagle outlaws. I've got black eagle vintage shafts. I've got quivers of those mm-hmm. and my St. Joe doesn't really like them. They're kind of loud out of it. So they've been sitting around the Nubo actually does like them. So I might be, I might go to shooting at a little bit. And of course I got a cornucopia of wood arrows that, you know, are all different kinds of makers stuff I made myself. Um, but really what I like to shoot the most and I, and I don't know why I, I kind of did it. It's kind of funny how it came into them, but I shoot a 2216 aluminum, hmm. just the, just the camo hunters or the legacies. Yeah. And when I started shooting, um, I started with carbon and I eventually moved to aluminum just because bullseye, the guy who, you know, mentored me, he shot aluminum. Holly shot aluminum a little bit with carbons and I, I learned how easy it was to maintain an aluminum. Like you could heat the ends of it off. You could cut them off yourself. You could do yeah. all this stuff. It, and you had the natural weight and the diameter of like a wood arrow. So I like really, really kind of liked, always liked using them. Um, and the 2216 doesn't bend as easy as like the 2018 or the 2117 or anything like that. So the 20, yeah, the, yeah, the 2216 and the 2219 are a real solid shaft. So I don't ever, I don't bend those very often. Um, the only time they bend is when they pass through an animal, honestly, like I've never, you know, unless you're bouncing them off petrified stumps, then you just made a mistake. Right. Uh, but those seem to work really well. And the nice thing about them is to get the weight on the front that I want is it's kind of janky the way I do it. Cause they don't make brass inserts for those that are heavier. You mm-hmm. have to use the crappy aluminum insert that comes with them. Like, yeah. Is they're obsolete. So I, I have that normal insert and I put in a hundred grain screw in like steel adapter. And then I put, um, a woody weight on top of that, a hundred grain woody weight. And then I put a, the glue on broadhead on after that. So I end up with like, and everything's epoxy. Like it, it's that 24 hour set epoxy. So it sets like concrete, like it's, it's not going anywhere. And the whole thing, you know, I think I end up going with, um, I want to say that I'm like around 350 on the end of that arrow. Yeah. And, and the whole arrow weighs like 850. 850. So yeah. it's super heavy. And you would think that that heavy of an arrow out of a 55 would just be a lead, a brick, but it's really not like it, the way that they're balanced, they just work really well out my St. Joe and out my, my new kilted bowyer bow, um, the Kalamazoo bow works bow. They both shoot that arrow really well. So, and honestly, I'm shooting the same arrows I've had for a while. Um, they don't break. I mean, I just fletch them. You know, and I, and for broadheads, I'm still on the Magnus classics. They're out of production. Steve carried them. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought a couple packs and I've had the same packs for four years. And yeah. I just, you know, uh, the only time I lose them is when I lose them. You know, I don't, they don't break. They, they're really, they're rock solid. They sharpen really well. And I really wish somebody would buy the, the rights to get that going again and produce that head. Cause I absolutely love that head. Yeah. Um, at some point I'm going to have to find one that's similar and I got a couple options, but I, I really do like that Magnus and I've, I've killed three deer with those Magnus heads and I just, they work, man. The, the Magnus 160, I just love it. Um, that's not, and, that's not a vented one, right? Or, or that's the, no, no, no. not the Magnus yeah. twos, the, the Magnus one, a, the classic Magnus one. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 
they're wide. They're like a Zwicky Delta. I think that's what Jason Samkoviak shoots, right? The, I think he the does. Magnus ones. Yeah, and he's got like I think he I think you might want to go to him because like I think he's hoarding like about 500 of those things because he, he said he, he bought is. he bought everything in <laughs> everything under the sun that he could find. I think. Well, and and I wanted to buy. I I thought Steve was squirreling them away too, and I said, dude, you can send me another pack of those 160s. He's like, man, he's like, brother, I I I'm out. Like I've got the ones I've got, and he he shoots a bunch of different things he shoots simmons too and he shoots tough yep. heads and or he did shoot tough heads i think for a little bit but he shoots grizzlies he carried grizzlies for a while yeah um if i was going to change heads right now i'd probably change to a grizzly just mm-hmm. because um i'd like to try a single bevel head i've never shot a single bevel um and i like the grizzlies ratio i think that's a it's a good head i've seen steve shoot him really well mm-hmm. but i'm really kind of a I don't know what it is, man. I'm mainly I'm mainly a deer hunter, and I a whitetail hunter, and I dual. I I know dual bevel. It's always worked for me. Yeah, I love that profile head. I've always shot it, whether it's an A standard or it's a Magnus or it's a Zwicky No Mercy. They're all the same kind of profile. I've always yep. shot that kind of head. <clears throat> um, you know, I just I just chisel point the top of them. You know, flatten them out so the point there's no point to roll over. Yeah, and I wait, curl. Uh, I weighed them up and, and I can get them sharp, sharp enough with a file and strop and they, they work for me. I, I, I'm kind of one of those guys. I did a lot of trying. In fact, um, Bill kind of, I remember one time I never really, Bill wasn't much to give you advice unless you asked for it, which is a good mentor. Like a lot of guys will force their opinion on you. And I was having trouble shooting good. And he, he just kind of said, well, you know, you, you're not really sticking with anything. Like Bill always shot a black widow bow with arrow with the 22, whatever aluminums. And he never varied from that. And he knew his setup and, and I kind of got mad at him for it. I was like, you know, I'll shoot what I want to shoot kind of thing in my head. And I was like, I was all stubborn and I was like, I, yeah. I know what I'm doing, you know? And, and then he's absolutely right. Like he, like you find what works and once you find it, there's no reason to change it unless you're bored with it. Um, and yeah, I venture off, but that's pretty my pretty much my setup. And as I've lost time with kids, and you know how that is, I, mm-hmm. I don't want to mess with that anymore. Like I would rather I'm not fletching arrows every night, and I'm not you know cresting, and I'm not doing all that. I don't have time for that anymore. I, if if I'm going to spend time on archery, it's going to be writing or shooting, and that's yeah. kind of what I'm doing. You know, I I pick that bow up. I might not touch it for a week. I will walk out on the deck and I'll shoot my first arrow. It goes right where I want it to, and I go back in the house. Like, that's just one of those things. I mean, I don't shoot a lot. I shouldn't say that, but I, I, you know, I used to shoot a lot back in the day when I was figuring stuff out, but you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just like a couple times a week and make sure I'm, I'm good, but I don't change my setup at all. And I think that's yeah. kind of the, the X factor there, but that's, that's, uh, that's quite the hefty setup. I mean, you're, uh, you're 55 pounds. Is that, is that at your, at your draw then what you're drawn to? Cause it sounds like you're not. Like you said, you're not drawn back like to like to full anchor. Like, I mean, you, are you just kind of just to the corner of the mouth or yep. I go, I go corner of the mouth. I shoot with a glove. Um, I really like the black widow sticky gloves. Um, mm-hmm. I shoot with those and I go to the corner of my mouth and I'm, and my second anchor point is my palm on the side of my face. Okay. Um, and my, and my thumb is usually, um, I, I tuck my thumb. Uh, so it's, I've got two anchor points, but they're not there very long. I can hold on a deer and I have, but most of the time, if I, if my head's in the shot at all, I ain't going to make that shot. So I got to just let it go. I gotcha. um, but you know, with any snap shooting, you get the highs, lowsies, 
you know, where you, you don't usually lowsies because you're like, okay, I didn't hit anchor. And then you're, you know, you're down or maybe you go a little too far and, you know, there's always that, but, Mm -hmm. um, honestly I've been doing it so long. I don't have that a lot anymore. Um, so it's one of those things, but I'm think I'm getting around. I, I like to say I'm getting around. I try to be right in the 57 range when I go to my draw. Yeah. So it's 55 pounds at 28. I might be drawn like 57 pounds. Okay. Okay. But I used to have yeah. a 31 draw, dude, before I switched. It was a long draw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like uh, with your arrow, then that's over like like 15 grains per pound. I mean, that's you know that, that's 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 pretty hefty, you know. Um, they're scud missiles. They're they're really heavy. Yeah, really heavy. Yeah, and I they bet they're damn quiet too, though. I mean, oh, they're that's... real. They're real quiet, and that's one of the reasons actually they were the quietest out of my St. Joe. So that's what I went with. Um, and uh, they just happen to shoot with everything and just shoot out of everything else too. Um, especially yeah. as I'm shooting. I mean, like, yeah, I would not take that set up and go shoot at something thirty yards away. It's going to drop off the table right. dramatically. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've 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 tinkered around with uh, you know that that grains per pound range, you know, with with various bows, um, and it's yeah, it's shocking how like you know out to fifteen, you're like, hey, it's no big deal, but then when you go out to twenty, it's there's a precipitous drop off. You're like, oh wow, <laughs> that that really did drop off a lot quicker in, in those last it. five yards than than the first fifteen. You know, it's it's amazing. It's crazy, isn't it? It's like it, it, it waits until that last like three yards and that's where you. Yeah, like, the last it, three yards. Exactly. And then whoop, being like, whoa, yeah, like, how does that uh, how does that happen? How did how did it stay straight for so long? But, you know, after a while, I don't know about you, but I, I like that curve, though. Like I like I like the, the arc of the arrow rather than a flat arrow. If the arrow's going too fast, I can't shoot. Yeah, can't. I, uh, you know, I, I just I don't want to say upgraded because I still have my other bows, but I just got uh, a 59 Kodiak and 50 pound. Um, and it's actually 49 pounds at my, at my 27 inch, you know, and, um, I'm shooting a, let's like 560 grains, basically 550 to 560 is what it comes in at. And that's like, like 11 grains per pound or something like that, you know, but I've, I've been more used to shooting like in the high 13s, 14 almost, so it, they're, they're both working out. They're both working for me as far as, you know, my problem is, yes, I do jump back and forth, you know, and, and shoot different stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm still kind of gelling with that bow and gelling with that trajectory, you know, especially up close. Um, mm-hmm. I'm tending to hit kind of high. I've been practicing, you know, more for, you know, just with that bow for, I haven't taken that one turkey hunting yet, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying like, you know, Let's see what it does at like six yards, which is kind of what I would set up for. And, and yeah, it's, 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 you know, I, I like tinkering. I like shooting different stuff, but I do like that heavier. I don't have a heavier setup for it yet, but I do, I would like to maybe go to like, you know, over 600, 650 something, six, you know, and then just to, just to get it up above like 13 grains per pound and then see, you know, see what that does. You know, I've got a set of four hundreds over here that, Mm -hmm. um, I don't have enough tip weight on to, uh, they're, they're, they're bear shafting kind of, uh, stiff still, you know, but, um, yeah, I just, I just like playing around with that kind of stuff. So do you, do you, okay. So how your, your bow is like what? 62 inches you said? Yeah. 62 inches. And then the, the kilted bow, your one is 64 and then the trophy hunter is like 67. So you're a ground pounder, right? I mean, you, you're not, not a fan of tree stands. Um, I've, I've never been a fan of trees. I've never been comfortable out of shooting one. Uh, last year, you know, I, I ditched, um, the tree stand that I had and I went with, um, 
because I was going to buy another one. And I thought, well, since I'm getting rid of it, I'm going to try the whole saddle thing. That's when the whole saddle boom was going on. And I spent most of last year in a saddle and, and I love it, but I also love hunting on the ground. Um, there's just, uh, first of all, I'm impatient. Um, I like to move around. I like mm-hmm. to get up and move if nothing's going on. Um, but I also like that, that close encounter. Like just last week, uh, I missed a, I, I was walking in about a mile and a half. I was turkey hunting and I didn't want to take my blind. So basically everything in my backpack and I had a ghillie suit that was strapped to it. And I walked in, had my bear grizzly. And I, long story short, I was crouched down behind some deadfall. And I mean, I'm talking like ninja moves here. I called this, this turkey and <laughs> across the river. Oh, it was, it was amazing. Heart pounding, you know, everything. I mean, full ghillie. I, I kind of rise up, you know, like all Navy SEAL like step over, you know. And I missed this bird at nine yards. And oh boy. Yeah, but on the on the on the way back, on the walk back out of there, I was like, that was I, I'm I'm beating myself up, going, this is a chip shot. How did I, you know? It actually ended up the 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 back of my arrow ended up whacking my decoy because I was kind of trying to split the gap between my decoy and and this bird, which was starting to turn back toward me. And at this point, I had kind of like risen up and standing there trying to shoot it, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I was like, man. This is a shot that I've made like a thousand times, you know, in not when it counts, obviously, but I was really beating myself up over it. But also I'm like, that is the most exhilarating damn thing I've ever done. I mean, I had a smile on my face. I still do, you know, because I, that close encounter up close, Gilly had the thing had no idea I was there, you know, until I, I lobbed an arrow at it. So my problem, though, is anytime I try to take a longer bow um, and I can't my bow. But anytime I try to shoot a longer bow, when I'm crouched down on both knees, one knee, whatever, I, I, it's just, it's, it's too gangly for me. There's, there's too much limb hanging out. You know, my grizzly's a 58 inch, and when it's strung up tip to tip, it's like 55 and a half. You know, mm-hmm. even when I take my, my 59 Kodiak, which is a 60 inch, and that measures like uh, 50, 58, I think, 57 and a half, 58 when it's tip to tip, I find that. I, I end up like digging the limb tips into in, into stuff into you know I, I just I've tried shooting a longer bow than that, but how, what do you do to keep that from happening? I mean, what, what's what's your what's your secret to not just get tangled up and stuff? Um, I can't quite a bit, and I actually shoot better than or better when I'm on when I'm on a knee or when I'm in a kind of a ducking under something or like i i i've always been good at that um but the real but so there's that like i i can i've learned how to maneuver a long bow in the woods because i've had it in the woods so long that i just kind of get it It doesn't matter if it's 62 or 66 or 68 because they all like i'm always you know thinking about where the ground is and and how much i've room i need in front of me and Mm -hmm you know, my top limb, you know, being ever present. And I think it was just time in the woods that did that. It was the big secret is like, like you learn how to see differently in the woods. Cause now you're seeing around the limitations of your bow. So you're thinking right. about, okay, I, this is the kind of cover I need. And if it doesn't give me that, like there's been so many times turkey hunting, especially man, I hear you where I'm like, man, this is the perfect tree right here. And like, I'm going to go stand on that tree. And like my buddy John Bushin and I, I'll go out in the dark and like, we'll find trees to sit against or whatever, you know, then, then you take a look, like as soon as the light hits and you're like, Mm -hmm. 
I didn't see that limb. I didn't see this limb. I'm too close to this tree. There's no way yeah. I can draw over here. There's no way I can draw here. I'm going to have to. So then you, I find myself like slowly backing up from the tree or slowly moving mm-hmm. to the left or, you know, like ye, I always set up my all my hides and my blinds and whatnot that I use. And most of the time it's just scraped up natural cover. I put the bulk of the cover behind me so I got nothing interfering with me. And then I try to drape one or two sticks, like two or three feet in front of me that they're not going to interfere just, just to mess with the deer's vision. Yep. And I, I always have to have some kind of a stool. I've got two stools that I use. I got a real cheap, like $20 jobby that folds out that -hmm. I've had forever with a canvas seat. Like I've had that forever and that's good. If I know the ground's going to be even, that's the stool I'll use. And then I've got one of those hammock seats. And I bought it from Steve years ago. Uh, and it's it's perfect. It's like this little seat that rolls up and you unroll it and you can strap it around a tree and you just kind of collapse into it. And it, mm-hmm. and you can adjust it so that you're off the ground just enough to be able to either rock to your knee and shoot or, you know, but it helps you get really close to that tree where a normal stool won't do that because you got the legs and all that and the ground's uneven. You don't have to worry about that with a hammock seat. So that's kind of my secret with the hammock seat. The hammock seat's a lifesaver. So how, how, how tall is that ceramic seat? Because my, okay. So when, when I try to use, um, and I've had tripod stools and all that kind of stuff. My problem mm-hmm. is if, if I do that and I'm kind of leaning back against the tree a little bit, not a ton, I'm thinking, okay, if I have to like actually shoot, like if you're, if you're rocked backwards at all, I, I'm not going to be able to shoot. It's just, it's just physically mm-hmm. like the way, you know, you, I mean, you draw back and your elbow hits the tree or whatever. So you're going to have to rock forward somehow. Right. So, um, is isn't that going to be too much movement? And also, if you're sitting in this hammock seat or any kind of stool like that, where you're you're not physically on your knees, and, and I shoot way better on my knees, by the way. I, I'm I'm with you on that one. Um, I'd rather be like one knee down or two knees down and shooting. I'm I'm much more stable that way. But you can't sit there like that all day, especially when it's cold, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know on on frozen. So uh, when you're when you're sitting in a stool, are you not kind of exposed, like sitting up too high? No, I've never had that problem. Um, okay. Mainly because, again, it's well up until I draw. I'm just one of the things I'm good at is I can sit super still. I basically, you know, I I, I get comfortable, and I zone out to the point where, you know, I'm 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 aware of everything, but I just don't move. Yeah. And I had to learn to do that. I was real fidgety at first, and it was really hard. <clears throat> um. You know, and then I had to learn to put my phone down too. That was the biggest thing. That was a hard time. But um, basically, there is no good answer to your drawing question because yes, you have to move, and you just got to pick your time. And that's that's the best part about the ground hunting to me is that chess game where you see the deer, the deer's in range. Now you got to plan where you're when you're going to draw, and okay. the, that's the most important part of the whole situation and you kind of got to start thinking about that and and hopefully you have time but you have to start thinking about that the moment you see the deer like if you're and that goes to your blind too like if you're setting up the right way in your blind um or your cover or whatever you're doing i shouldn't say blind because it's not a blind it's more of a scrape together cover yep it's a hide um you you've got to set it up so you have a couple places to shoot basically, and you're dedicated to those spots. And that's where your shoulder and your arm need to be pointing without moving. 
So when I set up, I usually set up. So wherever I'm going to shoot, that's where my, my, my left shoulder's facing. I'm sitting just like that. Yeah. And if I'm not with the hammock seat, what's it, that's nice is you can kind of, you don't want to scrape it against the tree, but you kind of like plan where your shoulder is going to be and you can actually swing it around the tree a little bit and then set your, the little stick in the front up that way so that you can kind of just collapse into a kneeling position and you're good. Or you can move slightly and, and still be able to shoot your shoulders still in line with that deer where you're going to shoot the deer. Um, but it's kind of all like, it's almost like a chess game with the deer. And that's why I like hunting on the ground so much. Like you're like, all right, when am I going to draw on this thing? How far away is it? Where is it looking? Is it occupied? Is it with other deer? Are there other deer I don't see? You know, what, what's happening, you know? Right. And for me, it's like a red flag in my mind that says you need to get ready to draw right now. And usually it's right when I see the deer, like the moment I see the deer and I know that absolutely that that deer is not looking at me or I have a good idea because I've been busted before, obviously plenty of Mm -hmm. times, but something says, all right, you got to get down you got to get ready to shoot. You're not going to have this opportunity again. So get down to a knee. If I can, if I can get out of my seat and down to a knee or even just stand up, I'll take that every single time. It's, it's not height really because a deer, if you're not moving, you know, that depth perception on that deer is not, it's not great. Like they're not going to, if, if you're not moving, you're going to blend in mostly with what's around you, especially if you're wearing some drab wool or something like that. Um, you'd look like everything else until you move, they're looking for movement. So you can stand, you can sit. In fact, I had a real, I, I, I won't go too far into this, but I hunted with a guy a few years ago and we did the, we did a hunting video called huntography with a guy and he did a series of like taping just normal hunters, average hunters all over the country. Yeah. And we were all connected via Twitter. Well, we did, I, I, I hunted with a guy in Michigan and, um, every time we, every time we, I hunted with him and we saw a deer, I always got down to a knee and he goes, what the, what are you doing? And I said, I got to get low. And he's like, no, you don't just stand still. <laughs> if you're it, odds are, it's going to see you. If you kneel down, if you stand you're making still, movement. Yeah. Yeah. And I watched him, he got, he, he stalked a deer. I, I've, I've watched him d- during that hunt. He, he probably two or three times he was standing right in front of deer with deer looking at him and they, and he just didn't move and he was fine. Hmm. And that was like, that was really eye opening for me. Cause for some reason I think I'm a big guy I got to be down on the ground. You know, I got, I, I, I can't be standing up. I got to be sitting really low. And, and that's not the case for one. If you sit really low with a longbow, that ain't going to work. Cause you're going to whack that limb on something, the ground most likely. So you can't sit low. You have to be able to, to shoot. Um, so you got to be, no matter what you have to set your cover up so that you can shoot at any point. You, you can't like, think of a perfect scenario where this is going to happen. You have to just like be able to react and with ground hunting, that's something that you just have to do. It's, it's, and it takes experience and time, dude. You're going to, you like, I missed a lot of deer. Um, I got busted so many times. I still get busted so many times. It's like a, not an ideal way to hunt. 
Like it's not something that you're like, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to tag out every year. You're not mm-hmm. going to do that on the ground with a longbow on public land or a, even private land. It's not. Right. It's not. It's not easy. But that's the point. It's fun though. There's nothing like it. And I got spoiled early on because my first year was that experience. And after I had that, I, I don't mind tree stands. I, I like hunting out of a tree stand. I hunt out of a tree stand in the year. Um, I just it doesn't do as much for me. I feel real tethered, like you said, to one position, and I don't get that chess game that we just talked about. That whole yeah, when are you gonna draw? When are you gonna do this? You know, I mean, sometimes they go screaming in there, and you can't think. You, you're either screwed or you're not. Mm-hmm. You know, but I hope that answers the question. But yeah, no, you that... gotta, you know, <clears throat> it's all on how you construct your blind and yeah. where you think you're gonna shoot. Basically. Are you carrying anything else with you? Like, uh, are you, I mean, what, what do you, I mean, are you in like any kind of camo, any kind of ghillie or leafy, anything like that? Or no, just, I don't, just, I, just I don't wool. Like, yeah. Yep. I, I comfortable. What, I, I know people who are successful with ghillies and stuff like that and they swear by them, but I'm more, you know, I just wear my Asbel plaid, um, stuff, um, in my, my wool bibs and, and, you know, in the, um, in the summer, I just wear normal, like predator camo, um, just, just because that's what I have, you know, mm-hmm. predator camo pants and, and shirt. And, um, I, I do have a leaf suit that Steve gave me, but I don't wear it. It's kind of a pain. Mm-hmm. It, and plus it, it's, it hilariously doesn't fit me. Like it's too short everywhere. So I, <laughs> it's like, I'm wearing, it's like I'm fat guy in a little coat with a leaf yeah. suit and I don't yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> so I don't yeah. wear that much. I thought this, about the ghillie dude. I don't want to yeah, sweat that much. It snags on everything. The ghillie I have isn't, isn't that high quality one. It's kind of one of the stringy ones, you know, and sure. you got it. I mean, you buy it and then you end up like, I don't even wear the pants. I just wear the top and you got to basically cut like half the thing off anyway, because all your left arm and shoulder and anywhere that's going to, you know, like the string that's, you know, at full draw is going to snag. So basically even like down your left you know, I'm a right-handed <laughs> shooter down your left side. So you're pulling away a, a lot of that stuff, you know, but, yeah, uh, people are always it, trimming them. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. man, it, it, it seemed to work the other day and, but I, I'd really like, you know, a nice leafy suit, you know, which, which kind of eliminates some of this or one of the higher end ghillies that I don't think they make anymore. I, I think other people do. It's like, is it safari something? No, I, I um, anyway, it was, it was, um, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember what it is, but, yeah, and those things are like, you know, 150 some dollars or whatever just for the top. And I'm like, eh, I'm not, you know, doing that. But what about, um, do, do you carry any other kind of like netting or any, any kind of like, uh, you know, like fake, you know, leafy anything in front of you, sticks or whatever to, to place? Or you just kind of do it, um, you know, what you find out there? Um, for turkey hunting, I, I carry, I've got one of those little like rollout, um, little insta blinds where you Mm -hmm. just kind of roll it out and stick it in the ground and it's like a little bit in front of you but honestly that's more for like a shotgun so it's okay but i i kind of take it with me just because it's light it's on your back and sometimes you need just a little bit of something in front of you and a little bit of a base to make a blind so sometimes i carry that i used to carry camo netting with me but i saw how unnatural it looked Mm -hmm. so i just said you know what no. So I, I spend more time usually find just finding a tree and I look for a tree with brush around it that I can pull to it easy. And, but really honestly, man, there's no substitute for just sitting still. Yeah. There just, there just isn't. And and I do think there's something to, to the wool too. Uh, wool is just dull and 
I I think deer have a harder time with it than than like fleece and cotton, and I I think wool's just better. Like I don't even think you need a camo pattern. I I mean, most of the time just drab wool. I know guys who hunt in all gray. Yeah. I mean, and it's fine. I like to have a little breakup on me. Like I, you know, I, if I'm sitting in front of a tree, I want to at least have something that looks a little bit like bark. Um, so I'll usually pick a pattern, like a plaid or something that's got a little mm-hmm. bit of breakup that messes with the deer's eyes. But yeah, man, I, the ghillie thing, honestly, I'd sweat too much. I already look like a Sasquatch. I don't need to really look like a Sasquatch. It's sweat like oh, a Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, I can't walk yeah. around in it. Don't get me wrong. It, it's, it stays in this little bag strapped to my backpack. And when I get where I'm going, I put it on. You know, there's no way you walk around with that stuff. And oh, even with, no. even when it's like that, um, that that the one I have snags. Like I guess maybe it's a good thing because it snags <laughs> natural cover. I come out with more sticks, you know, and twigs and stuff that just get snapped off and like like entwined into it than I went in with. It's crazy. Well, you know, um, so. I do know one guy in the MLA that uses one all the time, and yeah. he. But you know where he uses it? He uses it on like head like hedgerows. Like he'll go like if he's on the he'll he'll set up like on the edge of a field mm-hmm. and he'll literally like just sit on a stool in front of a post and okay. he'll sit and he'll sit there all day and he just looks like he's a lump of you know something that a bulldozer pushed over in a field right just on the side of the field and it works really good for him that way he gets shots at like six yards wow um, and I think for turkeys, I think they'd be great. In fact, John and I, Bushin, have been have talked about it. He's my my turkey hunting partner, and he's the current president of the MLA. And he, um, you know, we we love to run and gun, spot and stalk turkeys. Like that's yeah. what we do. We we still haven't gotten one yet. We're we're really going for it. But um, we uh, we thought, you know, man, maybe we ought to try. Maybe we ought to try ghillies. Maybe we ought to try leafy suits. And honestly, we've got. And so close to turkeys with just wool. I mean, again, it's just it's just planning where you're gonna go. Yeah. Binos help a lot when it comes to turkeys. Yes. Um and then just don't move. I mean, unless you unless you absolutely have to and you know you're okay to move. I mean, that's that's basically it. It's just it's just yeah. sitting still. <laughs> and I know we're not being as still as we should be. Mostly. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Not even, not even close. I'm a <laughs> fidgeter. That's my problem. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> John's like that too. John likes to move. Like, are, are you, um, are you, uh, are you hunting with a partner or are you just hunting by yourself? Just me. With a partner, it's, it's really, it's difficult just because you don't know what they're dealing with. Most of the mm-hmm. time when John and I are on birds, I got a bird in front of me. He's got a bird in front of him and we may not even know that that's happening. Oh, so yes, it's, and you can't just like turn and look at them constantly or whisper across the thing or anything like that. So we, we've learned how to hunt with each other, but the turkeys is a whole d- different game, man. Like that, that their eyesight's so good and you just get picked off. You get picked off a hundred yards away and not even know you got picked off or what you did to deserve it. It's just, it's yeah. And other times you're like, man, how did I get away with this? Cause the, the, this encounter I just had, you know, a week ago or whatever, I, I, I'd set up, you know, kind of in, in this deadfall, but it, you know, I put the decoy out. It was one of those funky, funky chicken decoys, you know, that little yeah. gangly yep. looking. Um, so I put that out and I was trying to call these birds that I, I've been talking to across the river. Well, I'm like, well, maybe they don't see it. So after kind of hunkering down there for a little bit, I'm in my ghillie still. I get up 
and I walk over and I pick it up, right? And and I'm using I lost the uh, the stake for it a long time ago, so I'm using my uh, my stumping arrow, you know, because it goes you know right up the bottom and then stick it into the ground, and sure. I don't have to carry extra crap, you know. Mm-hmm. So I pick it up and I'm like I was about to move it closer so that maybe they could see it, you know, in in a little more of a clearing from across the across the way, and you know I I get halfway to the thing and then I the bird that I had been talking to all of a sudden is now all on my side, you know, and, and walking up like less than 40 yards. And he's, and luckily he's kind of doing like this kind of secure, circuitous kind of thing. And I'm like, Oh shit. You know? So I put, I turned back around, drop back down. I mean, but I'm like, it was, I mean, I was, it was at my like 11 o'clock position going from left to right. I'm like, how the hell did it not see me? I'm moving around, you know? And I, I went and ducked, you know, ran behind the, uh, the deadfall again and waited for this thing to come around. And it did. And, you know, then it started to posture up when it got close. And then that's when I stood up and kind of, you know, took a step out away. And I'm like, there's no way this thing didn't, you know, like sometimes they just get, I mean, turkeys, you know, who knows what goes through their little pea brain, you know, but they just get so hung up on, on coming in either for love or for fighting, you know, they, they just, Mm -hmm. I I don't know this one and I blew it, but you know, it was exciting. If you can get something to get their attention before they get their attention on where you are. Uh-huh. then you're then you can get away with a lot if they're if you get a turkey that if you get a couple toms hend up with you know a bunch of hens and trying to get their attention and i mean they don't they don't see anything usually it's the hens mm-hmm. you know john and i get when we get picked off we get picked off by hens yeah like you, you don't see hens and all of a sudden you see these two hens or something come out of nowhere and, and then they leave and then all the you know, the Toms look at them and say, well, where are they going? What's up with that? You know, and then they look and they say, oh, yeah, that's not right. And then they leave. And it's just like it's just flock mentality, you know. Yes. Yeah. Um, but Toms can be real stupid. They can be real <laughs> smart, but they can be real stupid, especially yeah. when they're puffed up and, you know, and hot to trot. Yeah. There's such a there's such an awkward animal, though. They're just an awkward bird because you, they're so unpredictable. You just don't know what they're going to do. They, you know. At yeah. least you can pattern the deer somewhat yeah, like like a turkey. You can put them to bed. You can and and everything's perfect the next day. Something can happen in the middle of the night that shuts them up and they won't talk the next day. And you don't know why. Or they'll fly down a different place and you don't know why they did that. There's no yeah. reason, you know, unless you're in the woods 24 seven with them. You, you couldn't figure you couldn't figure it out. I don't know how many times we've been on a perfect set and John's worked so hard to like put us on birds and we've got this perfect scenario going and it just nothing happens like whatever whether somebody came around the night after we left or the morning after we left and messed with them during the day you, you just don't know what's happening in a turkey's life during the day yeah. to know to understand it it could be windy and they just they they fly down an hour late you know it, or they fly down an hour earlier than you thought or <laughs> they're super frustrating yeah. oh, have, so have you gone out this year much or we did we came out we went out um we get two weeks this year we got we went out opening week and then we've got a week in june coming up oh, where we can okay. where we can hunt again yeah so that's going to be kind of fun and um honestly with covid the way everything's been it was nice just to get out in the woods because everything feels normal out there so yeah mm-hmm. we john and i uh, met up a couple times and we wanted to go longer he hunted every day that week i only got to go out a couple times because work's been pretty crazy but right. um we had some really close encounters and we always do and you know it's funny john and i could have 
if we had, we always joke about it because if we had shotguns, we'd have, we'd have, one of us would have tagged out every single year we've hunted together. Oh, so absolutely. Three out of the last four years uh, for me, I mean, easily, easily, easily. And only uh, not last year because I, I only went like a couple times because everywhere I needed to go was flooded and underwater and I didn't have any encounters, you know, but every mm-hmm. other time, I mean, like, yeah, n- not even a question, you know. So are, have they been vocal for you this year or, um, they were one day. Um, and then, you know, it, it was, it was hit or miss and where, where we hunt, there are, there are so many different flocks and different fields and John's got the whole thing mapped in his head and, and, and you, it's, it's great to watch him because when he, he hears something gobble, he knows where it is. Like that turkey's on the peninsula. Those went into the swamp. That's that jerk that always sounds off to the left. That's always alone and messes everything up. You know, mm-hmm. he, he knows all that and he can tell the difference between like, you know, somebody who's calling like a guy that's calling as opposed to like a, tur- you know, he's just, his ears are so good. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, most people can though. Cause honestly, guy, people can't call very well. They don't sound yeah. like turkeys, but anyway, um, it's, uh, they, they talked really well one day and we were right on them and then they completely shut down. And honestly, that's been our experience. I don't know if it's over hunting or what on public land, but usually you'll have a really vocal day. And then the next day it's, it's, a, it's complete. It looks good. And then the next day something happens and they're completely silent and they don't talk. And then maybe yeah. the next day they'll move and then they'll talk again. Um, it, it's in last year was super frustrating. Last year they didn't talk at all. It was one of those years where it was like, it must have been the weather or something, but they just didn't. They just didn't have any reason, you know. They yeah. they hadn't last they year. Hadn't, I didn't have any encounters or any any. You know, I've just been hearing a lot of stuff this year about like um, everyone saying they're just not talking, they're not vocal. But for me, I mean, uh, they're they're gobbling their heads off. I, I I I've only been able to get the one to come in, but uh, you know, they're they're sounding off. They're just not leaving their their hens in the morning. And I've only been able to hunt the mornings. I know I know for a fact. Well, not for a fact, but I know in my heart that if I stuck around, you know, when the hens go off to, to nest, you know, from like, ten, you know, after 10 o'clock, 10 to noon, something like that, that I could probably call in a, you know, a, a lonely bird because now all the, you know, all the ladies have gone off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, every, every, every morning that I'd gone out, I've only been out like three or four times. But, you know, they're, they're gobbling crazy, like 5.36 till about 7, 7.30-ish at the latest, and then it shuts off, you know. Like, no matter what you do, they're, you know, they're, they're quiet. But then, you know, I, I don't know if, if, if I'd gone back midday, then if I could spark up, uh, spark up some more gobbles or something like that to, to kind of lure them in. But I haven't had, I haven't had that opportunity, so. They're, they're pretty, that's pretty accurate here, too, Um I've noticed this year, I mean, John's noticed more than me, but when I was out with John, the few times that I was out, we noticed that they were with, they weren't, they weren't gobbling much off the roost and they were with hens pretty early. Yeah. Like before light, like they were down. Um, hmm. and well, you know, as it's getting light, you know, just, yeah. just right then. But, you know, and then the last day we went out, you know, we didn't, we still had birds and there's been times where we've had birds and tree birds and trees at nine 30, eight, nine really? 30 where, yeah, where, whether it was weather or, or, you know, they, a lot of pressure Yeah, that just shut them up. You know, they're, it, it you know, public hands, public lands, a whole other game too. I mean, there, yep. there's Turkey hunters all over the place and, 
everywhere you go, somebody's got a box call and driving by and is doing whatever. Or there's somebody who jumps out of their truck and goes running into the woods and just, it doesn't take much just to just spook a turkey so that they don't want to talk anymore. Yeah. Um, but I've done that midday hunting thing before, man. And it's sometimes it's really good. Like where you get them when they move around like that, when they're off the hens, sometimes it can be really frustrating because they're on those hens and they don't leave. And once they're henned up and you're just like, okay, you know, nothing happens. But in the afternoon when they're kind of cruising, especially late season, yeah, that could be really fun. Yeah. I, like, the, the last bird I actually took a shot at was two before this one was not last year, but the year before. And that was at lunch. I, 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 I literally work like five minutes away from like an archery only like WMA. Um, actually it's a wildlife refuge, but, okay. uh, so I basically strapped my bow to my backpack and I was on my bike, uh, on a mountain bike and I was going down I was just basically just trying to half scout, half whatever, you know? And, uh, I would stop every little bit to, you know, do a little slate call, you know, and then this thing struck up. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And I saw this redhead. It was across, you know, it was kind of like a path and there's kind of kind of like tall marsh grass on one side and a tall marsh grass on the other. I'm like, oh, shit, it's coming. So I, I, I pedal down a little bit and there's the path goes off and I, I ditch the bike behind some um, some deadfall. And and I'm not in camo or anything at this point. And I've, I had that this like inflatable um, kind of uh, that inflatable, like really, like really ghetto ass, like, you know, hen decoy, you know, that looks terrible. And uh, <laughs> so I, I tossed this thing on the path, you know, and I ran back and I had, my, I had a Sam Sage at the time. And um, I'm sitting there and then I was able to call this thing in and this thing came in and it fanned out. And again, leaped out like the ninja that I am right into the path and, you know, draw, shoot, you know, and it was about 19, 20 yards at this point. And it paid, it didn't pay any attention whatsoever to that decoy. Um, it just kind of fanned out in an open area where it, it had heard, you know, me calling from. And, uh, you know, I aimed right for the Texas heart shot from the back and it looked like, I mean, my arrow went straight through the middle of the puffball of feather. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm like, there's no way I didn't hit. And this thing just kind of turned around and looked and, and, and it just walked off into the marsh grass and I couldn't get another shot off. I got my arrow. It didn't even take a, a feather off. And I'm like, how is that possible? I mean, my arrow looked like it went right through the center of that beach ball, yeah. you know. But again, it, it, exhilarating experience. I'm like, oh, I didn't expect to have this kind of fun at lunch. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> did. Yeah, I did that, too. The, the, year, the first year I did it where I had, and this is in life and longbows as well. Um, in fact, you probably like that. Those chapters, the, the Turkey hunting chapters where I was just, did not know what I was doing and just running around, you know, yeah, crawling yeah. and, and yeah, it, I remember them. Those were, those were so fun, but I did the same thing. I put one right through the back of the fan and I'm amazed. Like it, you think there's such a big thing the big bird and they, they're big, but when they're puffed up like that, it's air. Yeah. There's nothing there. <laughs> I mean, so there's nothing there. Yeah. And, and it always feels wrong to shoot low on them because you're like, oh, I'm just going to miss into the dirt. And most yeah. of the time when you see them, they're further than you think they are. So you're like, OK, I I got to you always shoot high and put it through the fan. Like, right. I think I don't know why I, re- I read somewhere that the best place to shoot a turkey is more of like a broadside shot in the lower wing. So you break the wing and break them down. That's um, yeah, I've heard that, too. And, but I, I never get a chance to 
I don't know. <laughs> I'll let you know when I actually make that shot. <laughs> That's what we keep saying. We're like, well, we'll tell you the best place to shoot a turkey when we actually shoot a turkey and it works. You know, that, yeah, that exactly. it's going to be quite the celebration when it does happen, though. But it's still the best hunting I've ever done. Tur- there's nothing like turkey hunting. It's it's it's, just... it's exhilarating. I love it. Well, well, probably because um, somebody was asking like turkey or deer, and I, I was like, you know, I love deer hunting. Don't get me wrong, but I like any kind of hunting where I'm where I'm more an active participant, you know, and kind of run and gun and yep, totally understand. even if it, when it comes to like squirrel, you know, I love squirrel hunting too, probably cause I'm just, you know, I'm moving around, I'm doing stuff, you know? And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just, it's just, there's so many opportunities out there. It's just, you know, we need more time in the woods. You can never have enough time in the woods. And think, no, but. you can't. And, and the thing is, it's like all my, all my favorite memories have been actually moving around and and interacting and the thing with turkey hunting is you're always interacting if you're calling yes. you're doing whatever yep. i mean you you're really a part of it and you're really in you're really into it and i mean let's face it when you're deer hunting most of the time you're staring off into the woods yep. for hours yep i mean you're it, it's not as fun as running around the woods after flocks of turkeys and hiking and, and, you know, moving around. Cause it feels like that's the natural way to do it. Like, it feels like, okay, we got to go get them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's why I like it. I think if, if, if I was given my opportunity, given my choice, I take turkeys every time just because it's, you are uh, always moving. And even if you don't get anything, if you feel really accomplished, if you even get close to a turkey. So, yes. yeah. And, and, and I like making that decision too. It's like, okay. Cause everyone says, don't call unless you're ready to be set up, right? You're set up ready to, cause you know, and here I'm not getting any answers for shock gobbles whatsoever, no matter what, they're not shock gobbling anything for me here. So if I'm going to sit there and strike that call, the hen call, then I better be set up. And it's like, okay, well, you know, do I do it here? Do I set up now? Do I invest the time to just kind of set my stuff up and hunker down and make a little blind here, you know, or, or, you know, and and you really, really want to just do like a quick little, like, quick, 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 you know, just, just to get some response. And then, you know, you get one and it's close. You're like, oh crap, you know, I, I I gotta, I gotta make something happen now, you know? So I just, that's just, I think if, if, if deer, if, if you hunted deer, like you hunted turkeys, (laughs) Oh God! You know, that'd be the ultimate. Oh man! Well, yeah. And the, the calling thing, you know, I think a, I think a big, a big, uh, the beneficial thing is to is to watch somebody who really knows what they're doing. And yeah. I've just, you know, John's a call maker, and I've I've watched him call, but he's been doing it for a long time, and I've watched him call birds. And there's the locator, there's the locator calling where he's trying to figure out where they are. Yeah. And then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll like, you can, you can tell in his head, he's timing the responses. And if there's a lengthy time where, where nothing's gobbling, when they've been absolutely hammering, you know, they're moving. Yeah. So oh yeah. Yep. Yep. You're like, okay. Yep. We, I know where I got to go. We got to get in position. It's knowing where you are and then where, where you can go. And then the only time we set Deeks up is when like, okay, they've been hearing his call. They're definitely on the move. They're going to need to see something. So we got to, and dude, he's got the, he's got the shittiest decoys you've ever seen. Like, yeah, he's got those foam ones that are just like falling apart. Yeah. yeah. And, and like they've been pulled out of his vest so many times their heads barely are on. I mean, they're all folded up. I mean, Oh, they're all crunched in and folded. Oh yeah. Half, half broken neck looking. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You don't need, I mean, some people go crazy. I, I really laugh at there, there's some, there's some local guys that hunt around there and they have the, the real detailed Tom decoys, the, DS, the DSDs. The and Dave I'm Smith. like, 
Yeah, and it's like, why the hell would you have a big turkey? Like, you, every every turkey that's smaller than that turkey is not going to want anything to do with that thing. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, don't, I, yeah. I, I, I don't like. I don't believe in in, in Tom decoys. No, um, this this one is just like like as I have that. It's called the funky chicken, and it's supposed to be like a really wimpy, scrawny looking Jake. You know. Oh yeah, uh, there you go. and that's yeah. and that's that's the only reason. Plus, it's skinny, and you know, it, you can you can kind of crunch it up and fold it and shove it into places. Because, again, I'm not going to carry this gigantic, you know, turkey sized turkey decoy around with me. You know, number one, I don't feel it's safe on public. Number two, um, I just, I mean, they're bulky, you know, and you you can't you can't um, like crunch those things up and squish them up and then carry them easy. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I just, uh, you know, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll go with what I have. And if I have encounters, I have encounters, but you know, and obviously it seemed to work, you know? So, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of good with that. You know, we, we tend to set them up on, you just where they're the most visible um, yeah. on top of, on top of like, you know, little, little draws or, uh, and, or little mounds. And, you know, we'll set them up on going into the edge of a field, not just sitting out in the middle of the field, like an actual transition point. Like we'll right. put them play, you know, but we never put more than like one or two. Um, and it works. I mean, and honestly, I, half the time we've had decoys, I don't, you're not, most of the time with the decoys, I've noticed that it's not the turkeys that you see, that are looking at the decoys, it's the ones you don't see because mm. they're seeing a lot further. Yeah. And they're seeing your bird and that's help. That's help bringing them in. But yeah, like the only, once they get up close like that, all you're hoping for at that point is that you're drawing its attention away from you so that you can get a shot off. I mean, right. that's a draw off. So that's the only reason why we really put them up. But yeah, but I'm just a hack and compared to John, John, John's the one that knows what he's doing. In fact, I, I figured, you know, John will help me get a bird and, you know, I'll go, I'll go try to help somebody else get a bird, but we haven't got a bird yet. So yep. it's been like four years. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. So that was, and, I only, and I only do, you know, and I do archery because it, you know, here it's like six weeks long. If you pick archery, you get six weeks to hunt. Okay. Um, if it's shotgun, you get to pick like a week or two weeks or something like that. And you got to pick a season. And, um, and like I said, I, I, at this point I've proven to myself that, um, you know, except for actually just connecting on the thing, like I can get close enough that if it was with a shotgun, it, I mean, it'd, it'd be, it'd be light. And especially if it's in a blind, I mean, it's the blinds are like murder on these things, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like an actual like pop-up blind because they just don't care around here. They don't care. I mean, they'll come right up to the thing and, you know, so yeah, I I'm, I'm liking, I'm liking what I'm doing now. I'm liking being on the ground and mobile and, you know, kind of, kind of free and, you know, it's a good way to, good way to spend your morning before going to work, you know? So. Oh man. And then, yeah. And that's the other thing I like about turkey hunting too, is it's like, you don't, it's not like you're out that long. Most mm-hmm. of the time, all the action's happening magic time for whitetails for me is usually nine 30 and for deer hunt, turkey hunt, you're just about done at around nine 30. I mean, oh, yeah. you, you could try to go in stock mode after that. And you're like, we'll usually, you know, kind of travel around and check the fields out. And there's a few spots we know that turkeys like to hang out in that during that time of the morning. And if, and if we can get a stock going, that's great. But most of the time it's like, well, that didn't work. Yeah. Or, rather than mess it up for tomorrow, we should just back the hell out of here and hope that nobody messes these birds up um do like but, do like any other hunter does you know, unsuccessful hunter and like oh time for mcdonald's drive through let's go <laughs> oh yeah there you go you know and that's kind of the other thing that's it's a little bit weird about this whole situation right now is like usually when i get done hunting i'm used to i like to go and you know grab coffee or i like yeah. to you know and and 
now it's kind of like nothing's open. So you're just like, oh, this, you know, or do I even want, do I even want to stop? You know, that kind of thing. But, yeah. but you know, we, that's what is good about the outdoors though. We've got that. We've at least got that to look forward to right now. And again, when you're out in the woods, it feels absolutely normal. doesn't feel like anything's wrong. In fact, you get out and you're like, oh, we're in, we're in a weird situation right now, but yeah, it takes the edge off the day when you're like, Oh, you come back and you see the first mask, you know, where you're like, Oh, okay. I'm back. I'm back to this, I guess, you know, I'm just going to cherish the memories I just had and, uh, you know, get back to it. But well, dude, we're, we're like two, two hours over two hours into this. So, um, I think, I figure we should wrap this up. <laughs> I keep thinking, God, I hope he doesn't have a time limit. Cause Steve would have no. already cut me off by now. <laughs> no, no, no. I, and I'm wondering whether I make this into two episodes, you know, just split it up or just do the whole two hour deal, but I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, yeah. Okay. So anything else you want to, you want to kind of wrap up and, and talk about anything? Do, do we miss anything about, about you or. No, I think I told you enough. Uh, I, I um, one thing I will throw out there is that, you know, I, 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 Check out my book on Amazon, Life and Longbows is the title. Um, if you do want to read my blog, there is a lot of good content on there. I just haven't been writing in it a lot, um, but it's uh, lifeandlongbows.com. And, um, you know, keep your eyes out for another book. I'm hoping to have it, um, hopefully having it done by next next winter, I think, or this winter coming up. I am, I'm, again, I'm on... You know, I'm probably going to, what'll happen is it'll kick in gear for me and I'll really, I'll really push to finish it. This was going to be a combo fish and hunting book, but I'm just going to do another hunting book because I have enough stories and, and it's going to be a little on the lighter side. Um, just because I don't know, there's a lot of funny things that have happened to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to put that in Yeah, I look forward to that, man. And, uh, of course, you know, you and Steve Angel, you guys are hosts of the, uh, traditional outdoors podcast. So go check that out. I mean. Thank you for great, that. Great yep. stuff on there. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you know, I I I, I listen and um and uh yeah, yeah, and you guys talk more more than just, you know, just just archery because you you dabble a lot in 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 fishing and and things like that too. It's, you know, um so it covers a little more than just your average like hunting or or, you know, bow hunting podcast, you know what I mean? Sure. And yeah, thank you for the plug. Um yeah. we we've been wanting to keep it broad. Um, there's a lot, there's more and more bow hunting content coming out and there's a lot of stuff that's not being talked about. So we're kind of just like, you know, anything that's traditional and in the outdoors and that's kind of what started it all. So we're, you know, we'd like to get more upland hunters on there. We'd like to get more, um, you know, we'd like to get, you know, maybe even a waterfowl, some waterfowl mm-hmm. people, more, more black powder people. Like we, you know, we know that's a big community. Yeah. Um, but we didn't want to limit it. And, and, you know, we just like to have conversations about being outside. So, yeah. 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 I look, I look, I look forward to every, yeah, yeah. Uh, every week. Well, we guys don't do it almost every week, but every time you put out, I look forward well, to it. We were on a good clip, but again, Steve's been so busy and, and this whole thing kind of threw everything yeah. off. Um, and even guests, it's hard because like there people are working from home and they're stressed out and, and, but yeah, man, I gotta, I gotta binge your episodes too. I gotta, I gotta check some of those. I saw you just had Isaac on there. I'm going to have to go listen did, to that yep. And, yep. And, and, uh, and then insult him online. Um, <laughs> he's a good, he's a good guy, man. I like yeah. Isaac. Um, yeah, I was yeah. tickled when I saw him on there. So yeah, no, that was, that was, that was a good, uh, that was a good chat I had with him. So, okay. All right. Well, why don't you hang on the, uh, on the line with me here after we stop recording. So I guess, you know, thanks everybody for listening. Um, check out, uh, check out Nick, uh, like I said, life and longbows, um, 
and check it out on Amazon. And they can also get a, a signed copy from you, right? Do you still do that? or? Yeah, man, I still have like 15. Like if okay. uh, you can get that at lifeandlongbows.com, it is a little bit more because I got to ship it and do everything. But yep, those are signed and personalized. So uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Cool. And then uh, everybody check out, obviously, if you like this episode, you know, like, share, subscribe, leave a leave a rating. Even if you don't leave a review, leave a rating. Uh, check out the Bowhunting Soul YouTube channel, um, you know, putting out videos kind of all the time up there. So thanks for listening and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks.